The following story has been brought to you by storiestoinspire.org. It is our great, great honor to call upon our first speaker tonight, all the way from Eretz Yisrael, from Israel, renowned speaker and, and author, Rabbi Nachman Seltzer. Okay, shalom to everybody. I'd like to tell you a Pesach story, beautiful story. It has to do with Pesach. Major lesson, tremendous insight. The story that began over half a century ago, but it continues until today. In the middle of the city of Jaffa, Jaffa, near Tel Aviv, as Jewish people, as Arab people living there, there's a famous bakery in that city. The city of the bakery is called Abu Lafia. And if you ever visit this bakery, you will see above the name of the bakery, which is written in Ivrit and in English, there's a date, and the date is 1879. That was the year the bakery was established. And while now, during the rest of the year, the Jaffa has many, many bakeries, and they all work very hard, and there's fresh baked goods, and it's very nice. But uh, during Pesach time, virtually every one of those bakeries closed the doors and shut their windows. Production ceased since the majority of Jews didn't eat hummus. Now, that this, what was the problem? There was a minority of people living in Jaffa who uh, wanted to continue eating bread and pita during the eight days of Pesach. And since most of the bakeries were closed, the search went on to find other alternative baking bread supplies. They were not willing to give up fresh pita for eight days, and they were not committing. So luckily for them, there was a bakery that was open, a bakery that had been around in full operation mode, from 1879. The name of the bakery was the Abu Lafia Bakery. That is why there was actual, literal traffic jams outside the bakery during the whole week of Pesach. As people drove in from the nearby Moshavim and Kibbutzim around Jaffa to want to purchase chametz that they would not give up. Now across the street from this bakery, there was lived a year of Shlomo Zaman Stauber. He owned a shoe factory. Right across from Abu Lafia Bakery, and as everyone knows, we're from here. Even seeing a piece of bread on Pesach is a terrible thing. But it wasn't here, it wasn't a piece of bread. Abu Lafia was a big bakery, it was a large operation. Tremendous amount of bread products were being carried out of the large ovens every day of Pesach. Traditional Arab breads and flatbreads, pita, lafa, cake, rugelach, Arab pastries. Shalom Zaman is able to see all these years going to the bakery, they're full of bags with chametz, which we're giving into their families. Some of them couldn't watch it. It wasn't right. Pesach is a Yom Tukhai, so most of them have been for thousands of years. Even now, it looks like the Israeli government's going to fall on account of Chametz in hospitals. So, how could it be that here in Eretz Israel, an Arab bakery was operating full force and selling poison to so many unsuspecting and ignorant Yidden who didn't understand the severity of what they were doing? It bothered him tremendously. And in the year 1969, he decided to do something about it. Right? We understand when something bothers you, you have to do something about it. Don't just sit back and watch and say, oh, it's terrible. No, get up and discipline. So what are you going to do? What does he do? He said, it's a problem. It's even a little bit. It's my courage. I have to do something about it. He gave the man a lot of thought. And eventually, walked across the street, and he went to his neighbor, Saeed Abu Lafia. They were neighbors for many years. They knew each other. Shlomazam walked into the bakery a few weeks before Pesach. He asked one of the boys to ask their father to come speak with him. Say Abu Lafia comes over to me, says, Don Shlomo, what can I do for you? My son told me, you want to talk to me? Is there a problem? He said, listen. Say, Dafendi, you know the holiday of Pesach is approaching. 
And you know on Pesach, most bakeries are closed. And the reason is because we're not allowed to eat chametz. So Rosh Hashanah explained to Mr. Balafi, well, chametz wasn't why Jewish people make matzahs now. It works. The Torah was very unhappy with any year who even ate a tiny bit of chametz on Pesach. Rosh Hashanah said, listen, I don't expect you to close your store over the week of Pesach just because I asked you to. You're not Jewish. You have no chiv to stop making bread. It's so important to me. I'm asking you to sit down and make a calculation. How much money do you make over the week of Pesach? I'll pay you the entire amount. On condition, you close your business and go on vacation. Take your family go on vacation. You deserve it. What do you say? So Mr. Abulafi is quietly. Mr. Shlomo, do you have any idea how much money I make during this week? Most people are careful. They don't eat bread during Pesach. But some, the minority, they go, they go crazy. They eat much more bread than normal. So many people buy bread at my store during the week of Pesach. I make more money in one week. I make the entire rest of the year. So I said, listen, I understand what you're telling me, but it hurts me so much that my fellow Yijidin are eating chametz on Pesach. I want to pay you the whole amount. It will close your bakery. Just tell me how much. Pay you everything. That's how you feel, Mr. Abulafio? I'm willing to make a deal with you. Put a piece of paper down on the table. You wrote down the details of the agreement. The store will be closed April 20th, 9.30 in the morning. For the night of April 27th, signed Seyed Abulafia, signed Shlom Azam and Stapra. Amount of none of money that Shlom Azam agreed to pay. Seyed Abulafia was in the contract. The contract was filed as they shook hands. Seyed Abulafia was happy that he was able to help his neighbor without losing money. He was also happy that he wasn't causing Jewish people to go against the religion. And Shlom Azam was happy because he was filled with simcha that this year the bakery would be closed. And there would be such a chilashah. Each of them felt that they got the best part of the deal. The first time that year, Said Abulafi's bakery was closed. Whole Pesach. Car after car drove up. No lines, no tables, no rolls, no pita, no bread. The stores closed. They turned around and they went home. And they couldn't miss the sign hanging in front of the bakery. Abulafi's bakery blesses the entire Jewish nation for the next six years the same scene repeated itself a few weeks before Pesach Shlomazam would leave his factory and make his way over to the Abulafia bakery where he would sit down with Mr. Abulafia they would have a little conversation they would sit down at the business they would make the, the calculation and then Shlomazam would write down the contract for six years it went like this Agav, side point, after Shlomazam passed away, the Stauber family made a chesh, made a calculation of how much money the family, the father spent to close the, to pay the bakery to be closed in six years. Turned out the father had paid Mr. Abulafi a amount of money that would allow the baker to purchase a four-bedroom apartment in Tel Aviv. In the seventh year, things changed. When Shlomazam came over to talk business with his neighbor, Mr. Abulafi said to him, Mr. Shlomo, we're not doing the same deal that we're doing this year. He said, why not? Well, don't you like your vacation? He says, I love it. Don't worry, the bakery will still be closed. But from now on, my children and I will keep the bakery closed without charging for it. I don't want your money. So Shalom Islam said, why not? So I want to tell you something. Since I began closing my bakery six years ago during Pesach, I've seen a tremendous increase in business in my bakery during the rest of the year. We have been the recipients of so much blessing in our bakery, and that is why I'm planning on closing my bakery 
without charging you for it, just because I feel it's the right thing to do. Shlomo Zalman passed away in 2001. His name is Mr. Abulafi, also passed away. He's no longer alive. Today, the Abulafia bakery is managed by his children. And every year, Pesach time, a very large sign is hung in the front of the bakery. The Balafia bakery blesses the entire Jewish people with the Chag Kosher of Sameach. Beneath the good wishes to Kaisal, the Abulafia family has written the story of how their bakery came to be closed to whole Pesach. Shlomo Zalman Stauber was a prime example of the way a Yid is supposed to live his life, to do chesed without making a big deal about it, without telling anyone about it. All he cared about was saving his fellow Yidim from the various of the Yichamets of Pesach. He didn't form a committee to deal with the issue, he didn't call a meeting, he didn't take an ad in the newspaper. Instead, he asked himself one simple question. What can I do to make the situation better? And then he did it. That's the koyach of a Yid. The impact that a Yochid can achieve, even today, 50 years later. Thank you, Rabbi Seltzer. Going from one storyteller to another, as 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 as, as we know, Rabbi Achiel Spiro has written so many so many amazing books in Sfarim, and um, he really touches the he really really touches and inspires so many people with different backgrounds, and and his touch by a series. Um, um, series is his all his his series of books. It's really inspired thousands of people around the world. It's a great night to call upon Rabbi Spiro. Seder night. There really is nothing quite like it. It's probably the most meaningful night of the entire year. It's when emuna and lessons of faith are passed down from one generation to the next. And it's a night that cannot be taken for granted. There is one part of the Seder that I think is highly unusual and a unique opportunity for every single individual to capitalize on a very special moment. And that is the moment right before Manishtana. And if you look in the Haggadah, it might seem like nothing more than the next set of instructions. Vikan haben shoyo. And here, right now, at this moment, the child asks the manishtana the four questions. But the Satma Rebbe says that Vikan haben shoyo does not only mean the little child, asks his father the questions. Rather, it means Vikana ben Shoyal, every single Jewish individual. Every child of Hashem can ask Hashem for whatever they want. I have a friend who was separated from his wife and had nowhere to go for the Seder. His children would be with his wife and her family. And he was looking for a place to go. And so he called up a childless couple and he asked them, would you mind if I join your Seder? And at this moment of their Seder, he shared this beautiful thought. Vikana ben Shail, every single individual can ask Hashem at this moment, at this very auspicious moment, moment of the Seder. You can ask Hashem for anything you want. 
and each of them, the three of them, at that Seder table, had much to ask Hashem for. And for the next half hour, they asked Hashem, and they cried. And they asked Hashem for what their hopes and dreams were. And the next year, he had been reunited with his family and with his children. And that childless couple was no longer childless. And they had a beautiful baby at their Seder. There's many special moments of the Seder. But this moment is a moment that can't pass without taking hold of this unique opportunity. Ask Hashem for whatever you want. He's there, he's waiting, and he's listening. Have a great Yom Thank you, Rabbi Spiro. Our next speaker is Rabbi Mayer Simcha Sperling, whose energy and enthusiasm for Torah and for Klai Yisrael, the Jewish people, is really, you can really feel it through the screen. And it's our great honor to call upon Rabbi Sperling. I would like to welcome everybody, and thank you for joining this beautiful event from Stories to Inspire. The Pesach version. <laughs> so welcome, and let's get inspired together. So we're going to share something today that is absolutely mind-blowing. So before we do, I just want to start off by thanking Stories to Inspire. Thank you again for inviting me. This is not the first time. And Baruch Hashem, each time is I just owe more Akaras so thank you very much. And we all owe a tremendous thank you to Stories to Inspire for the amazing work that they do. Number two, I want to thank Chazak, Chazak for all the work that they do for Klai Yisrael as well. And last but not least, Torah Anytime and the entire Torah Anytime family. So stories to inspire Chazak and Torah Anytime for hosting this beautiful and amazing and inspiring event. So Baruch Hashem, they should all be zeicha to continue to do the amazing things that they do. And obviously, I want to thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu for allowing me to come and share some chizuk with the Olam. All right, so Pesach, let's get some inspiration, shall we? Do you, do you know anybody who needs a shidduch? Okay, you do? Fine. You know anybody who needs parnasa? Oh, you also do? You know anybody who needs success in things in life? A child struggling, perhaps? child off the derech? Different things like that. Struggling with shalom bias, maybe? Uh, having a hard time getting into a school? Having a hard time learning toideh? Making a leaning on the toises? Just hard. You need success. You want success? You're davening. It seems like Hashem is far away. He can't hear you. Health issues? If you know anybody who has any of the things that we just mentioned, um, so I want you to pay attention to this story. It's actually a pretty famous story. It's been brought down in a few different places, but I think that uh, the more we spread the story, the better it is. So we're just going to spread it, and hopefully everyone will hear it. And in Hashem, we will put an end to all of the different struggles and things that go on in life. So really, anything that you need, not even so much like this specific, that anything that you need in life, and when I say need, obviously I mean need in order to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We're on this world uh, to serve Hashem, and therefore all the things that we want, like we have Shidduch and Parnassah, Success, all these things are really just to facilitate a little Menuchus Nefesh to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu, like the Ramchal says in Perak Aleph. So here we go. So my brother-in-law, Rabbi Yossi Devor, who's a Rebbe in Eretz Israel, he just showed me today or yesterday uh, a certain Haggadah, and in the Haskabah of the Haggadah, Rabbi Yitzhak Berkushlita says the following thing. He says that one of the main purposes of the Pesach Seder is to instill emuna in ourselves and our children. 
And unfortunately, all too often, it's not, not exa- his exact words verbatim, but it's pretty, pretty close. All too often we use the Haggadah as a springboard for a nice pshetlach and some, uh, a collection of family traditions. And okay, everyone stand up and get the frogs now. And let's throw the candies and stuff and all the different things that we use. You know, we use it as a springboard to do there. And sometimes we miss out on this special opportunity to build and to fortify Amuna. So the point really of the Leil Seder is Amuna. Right? The whole point is to remember HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to remember what he did, to speak about HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to realize that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is in control of everything. Chagadia, we finish off, we start off with Kadesh, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is everything. We finish off with Chagadia, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is everything. So really the point is Amuna. That's the whole point. And let's not miss that, uh, that very important fundamental point to work on. Use the opportunity. Now, obviously, the pshetlach are very nice, and the family traditions are great, and you should do them. But don't miss the main point of what the Seder is. So I want to share uh, one of the most amazing stories, really, one of the most amazing stories on this idea. It's a famous story, like I said before, but I can guarantee you will gain from the story. The power of Leil HaSeder and a massive, massive segula for anything that you need, any, literally anything you need. Now, this is not a promise, this is not a guarantee, this is not like some nace, this is a segula, a very powerful segula that has worked for many people. Obviously, there's a billion cheshbainas and a Kaddish Baruch who's, uh, you know, cheshbain thing, but Al-Kopanim, it's a, it's a big Esrat. And I heard this story from a Rebbe of mine in Beis Medrash, Rabbi Benjamin Przansky, who actually went over to the person that the story happened to. So even though it's going to sound like, well, come on, no way, yeah, no, yeah, no, no, yeah, no. It didn't happen. It happened. <laughs> he went over to him, and the guy told him the story, and it's, it's really, it's, you'll, you'll see. So you'll do a story. Okay, so here we go. A verified story. This is the Segula. There was a man by the name of Manish. Oh, I know the story. I told you, you'll probably know it, and it's Chazara. So there was a man by the name of Manish, and he was a Hasidish Yid, who worked in a local grocery. It could be that many of you know him, actually. And um, he might seem like a regular person to you that's just running the meat section in this you know, particular grocery. But he's a very special Yid, a very special Yid with a Muna Pshuta, real Amuna, a real trust in a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Sometimes you see somebody and you look at the outside, that's it. Ah, regular Yid, a regular Yid. First of all, what's a regular Yid? That's Salam Alekim. But Akopanim, a very hush of a person inside. Anyways, he was an older Bachar, and uh, he was already older than 25 years old, and he was single. He wasn't married, he wasn't even in Shadduchim yet, because he had an older brother who, you know, wasn't finding the right one, and he was in front of him. And in the Chassidus Shevelt, or at least in this part of the Chassidus, you know, they don't really cut in front of the line. So he was waiting, and he really wanted to get married. But the problem was that he had an older brother. Anyways, a few days before Pesach, a few years ago, he went to his mother, and he said, Mother, mother, mother... He said, we need to figure something out here because on the one hand, I don't want to go in front of my older brother. On the other hand, I'm, I'm actually getting older. I'm not getting younger. And it's time and the phone is not ringing. I mean, it is ringing. So that random Indian guy who, you know, is trying to sell him insurance. But otherwise, it's not really ringing for insurance, uh, for insurance, for shaduchim, for shaduchim purposes. And I really want to get married. And there's a big problem here. And like, so what, what do we do? We have to figure out what to do here because what, what do we do? It happens to be that his older married brother was there. And when he noticed that his mother didn't respond, she didn't really know what to say, he said, listen, he said, Manish, why don't you do the famous, famous story from the Apterov 
on Leil HaSeder, that massive Segula, why don't you do that Segula? And you never know. He's like, Segula, Abderav, the Ayyav Yisrael, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? So he said, you don't know the famous story? He's like, obviously not. If I said, what are you talking about? He said, okay, let me tell you the story. He said, many years ago, it's a true story, Rabbi Say, the Abderav. Many years ago, there was a certain Yid who was extremely poor, extremely poor. He had nothing. And uh, there was a certain time that his landlord came to him and said, listen, enough is enough. It's been long enough. You haven't paid your rent in months. And if you cannot pay by the next few days or, you know, whatever he said, so you have to leave. You have to get out. Ah, it's raining. I feel bad, but you have to get out. But it's snowing. You have to get out. That's what he said. Okay. So he wasn't sure what to do. He was like very depressed, very hard. He was already a very, very poor person. Like he met Mamish had nothing. And he spoke it over to his wife. And he said, what should we do? What's the eats of this, that, daven harder? And she said, you know, the Abderav, the Ev Yisrael, is giving a Shabbos HaGadol Joshua. And it might be worthwhile for you to go and get some chizik. You know, you're very down. We're going through a hard time. Why don't you go to his, uh, his Shabbos HaGadol Joshua? Okay, so he went to the Joshua. It was packed. And in the middle of the drasha, right in the middle, he said, the Apterav said, there's a known segula, famous segula going around. There is a known segula, and I want to share this with the Eilam. That's what he said. He said, if you open up to Magid in the Haggadah, so we start off with Manashtana, right? And then we have, uh, then we have Vihisha'amda, then we have Tsei Ulamad, and then goes through the Pasuk, and then we have Vanitzak El Hashem, Eloike Aviseinu, Vayishma Hashem Es Kailenu, Vayar Es Anyenu, Ves Amalenu, Ves Lachatzenu. We cried out to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Hashem, the God of our ancestors, HaKadosh Baruch Hu heard our cry, He heard our cry. And He saw our suffering, our misery, our oppression, etc. And then it goes through, the Agada goes through the whole thing, that is, Hashem, Kemoshin Emar, Vayibayom Rabbim, Vayishma Hashem, Kemoshin Emar, Chule, Vayar, and He goes on. When we come up to this part, says the Abderav, during Hashem's Agadah, when you come to this part, where we say, Vanitzak, that we cried out to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, anyone who needs anything, if you pause right there, the Seder, right when you're up to the words, Vanitzak, whatever time it is, and you cry out to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, whether it means to scream, whether it means to cry out inside, you cry out to HaKadosh Baruch Hu at that point, that is such an Israel and it's such a sugu, such a time, a powerful time, that a Kaddish Baruch Hu will answer you. Again, this is what he said. Does that mean that for sure gar- nothing's guaranteed? There's a lot of Khajbainas, but it's a huge Israel in Vanitzak El Hashem, El Hashem By that part in Magid, you stop, you close your eyes, and you just daven for whatever it is that you need. If you do this. HaKadosh Baruch Hu will be able to help. Now you have to believe. You have to believe that HaKadosh Baruch Hu could do this. You have to believe HaKadosh Baruch Hu could do anything. There's no issues that are too big for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We don't tell Hashem how big our troubles are. We tell our troubles how big Hashem is. But I'll upon him. If you cry out during the words, cry out, it's very likely you'll be answered. It's a very, very, not a, not a stand, very, a very, very special time. And there could sprout a lot of Yeshua. Okay. A tremendous Israel. And so, when the Seer heard that, he ran home and he said, I must tap into the Segula. I'm about to be kicked out of my house. Told his wife. Okay. Anyway, Seder night comes. And when they come to the words, Vanitzak el Hashem, he started screaming. He's like, Hashem, you need to answer me. You have no idea. You have an idea. (laughs) 
but for effect. You have no idea what I'm going through. I'm in such pain. I have no money. I'm about to be kicked out. It's much snowing and raining outside. Hashem, please help me. Please help me. Please help me. He's screaming. And he has a real, real amuna. Real Hashem. He just, he, he, he tapped into a level that he was just like, whoa, it just feels different. Hashem, please, I just, I need you to save me. I need you. I need the shidduch. I need the parnas. I need my child to get into yeshiva. I need to learn better. I need to be healthy. Hashem, please, please, please. And Rabbi said, listen to this. He wasn't on camera, by the way. This was real. A minute later, literally a minute later. So he, right now, a minute later, he's up to Vayara Samyenu. <laughs> right? He's a few lines down. There's a knock at the door, a very hard knock at the door. And the neighbor comes bursting in, holding two massive bags of cash money. And he was panicking. And he told the Jew that he got into big trouble with the government and he must run away for a little bit and lay low. And if you could just hold on to these two huge bundles, cash money, then I'll give you a large sum when I return. And if I don't return for whatever reason, or I'm caught, do not snitch, do not say it was me, just keep the money. This happened literally right after he cried out, and believed. Anyways, the next morning he wakes up. First of all, he was shocked. But the next morning he wakes up and he found out that his neighbor was killed in a tragic accident on the horse and buggy, whatever there was, and the money was his. He paid his rent for like the next 150 years, and Baruch Hashem, he was able to live very, very comfortably in Sefer HaKadosh Baruch Hu. This is a story brought down from the after of the famous story. Anyways, back to our story. So Manish's older brother, married older brother, told him, why don't you do this segula? Lel Seder, it's a huge Eitz Rasen, Vanitzak El Hashem, stop over there, ask the whole table to daven for you. Everybody pause for five minutes and scream out, Hashem, Hashem, please help me. Hashem, please help, we need this, we need that, we need this, we need that. Help me. And Manish said, okay, I'll do that. You know, maybe it will be a little awkward in public. No, it's worth it. It's Kadai. So what happens? Everybody say this story was verified by the man himself. Lael Seder, he sits down, they get to the words Vanitzak, and they start crying, and they start screaming. He told my Rebbe, he screamed three times. He said, Hashem, I need a shidduch. My brother needs a shidduch. Hashem, I need a shidduch. Three times. And he said, everybody, please join in. Everybody, please help me. Let's daven for a shidduch for my older brother and for me. Total emuna, emuna pshuta. Hashem, you could do anything. And Rabbi Isai, Rabbi Isai, Rabbi Isai, Rabbi Isai. A few days later, the phone rang. And it was that Indian guy. He's like, hey, insurance? No. no. A few days later, the phone started ringing and Shaduchim were flying, Pashat, flying in all directions. For him, for his older brother. And now they didn't know what to do. Like, who should get, who should go out first? Like, the older brother first, then the younger one. They asked the rough. The rough said, don't worry. You could both go at the same time. Even if you get engaged first. Your brother will also get engaged. Bikitzer Amaisa Manash went out, got engaged a few weeks after Pesach, and a few days later, his older brother as well got engaged. And not only that, but the story made its way around a while back, a while ago, and people started sending their names to Manish. There was a Rabbi Przanski gave out an email a few years ago to send names to him, because this is what became his avoida. Lil Seder to Davin for people when he came up to Vanitzak, and many people. Many people, literally, like a few days later, had Yeshua's. <laughs> so, there's no promises, there's no guarantees, but there are times that are very special times. There are certain tkufas that are Esrats and Esratsan. 
So let's tap into this. And worst case scenario, you'll build a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. No. Rabbi said, let's believe and let's tap into this. The whole point of the Seder is Amuna. When the Olam gets up to Vanitzak Fristal, everybody I'm begging, ask, Davin, your heart's out for Mashiach. That we should be able to go back to Yishalai and let's all do that together. But let's have in mind each other and let's daven for the things that we need, every single one of you, and spread the story around. Don't keep it to yourself. You don't have to spread it on this video. Say it yourself. Print it up. Type it out there. Get the oil. When it comes to Vanitzak El Hashem which is right in the beginning of Maged, you stop over there, get the whole Mishpacha together, and cry out for everything that you need in order to serve Him. Rabbi say everything in life that we do, Everything that we daven for. I need a shidduch. I need parnasa. I need my kid to go on the derech. I need, it's all for us to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to have a little bit more mitzvah nefesh to serve you. It's not for us. So it's really all for I'm saying we're doing it for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's for the right reasons. It's Shema. And deep down we mean it this way. So Rabbi said, let's daven our hearts out when it comes to Vanitzak. And don't just daven for you. Daven for the whole Kla Yisrael. Daven for the Geula. Daven we should go back to Shalayim. Down for the person sitting next to you. And Basiata Dishmah, we should all be Zaycha, that with this with this Sagula, we should all be answered Lutaiva, and this little Seder should be a time of pure emuna. We should finally just believe and know that Akadish Baruch Hu runs the world and Akadish Baruch Hu is watching our every move. Have a wonderful Yantav Rabbi Saikultov. Thank you, Rabbi Sperling. Our next speaker is Mr. Josh Brody, whose 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 enthusiasm, whose whose excitement whose short clips really touch the lives of so many. It's our great honor to call upon Rabbi, uh, to call upon Mr. Josh Brody. The Chosef from Lublin had a Talmud whose name was Rav Shmuel. Um, they probably called him Rav Shmuel. In any event, Rav Shmuel was somebody who really connected to the Yontif of Pesach. You know, a lot of people connect to different Yom Tovim. Something about that Yontif really speaks to them. And Rav Shmuel, for him, it was Pesach. But the other thing about Rav Shmuel was that he had nothing. He was dirt poor. And as he was getting closer to Pesach, he really had no way to know how he was going to buy matzah or wine for the Dalekosos and forget about being able to buy some sort of chicken or meat for the actual Suda. But he did the best that he could in at least preparing spiritually with his ruchnias and his learning to be ready for the Seder. And as he's getting closer closer to the Seder, he really just doesn't know what he's going to do. And then a day or two before Yontif, a gvir, a really rich guy, rolls into town. And this guy goes to the Chose and says, look, I'm traveling and I'm stuck here. I don't have anywhere to be for Pesach. And the Chose says to him, oh, perfect. You can go to my chassid of Shmuel and spend Pesach with him. So a day before Pesach, this rich guy walks over to Shmuel and says, I'm here, I need a place for Yontif. Can I stay by you? I brought everything. You don't need to worry about a thing. Shmuel is overjoyed. He was getting ready for Pesach, and now he has someone who's bringing him wine and matzah and all the trimmings and delicacies you could possibly want to serve at your Seder. And the Seder starts, and it is from the beginning just unbelievable. Shmuel is sitting there with such incredible Harchavas Hadas, and he's so excited, and he's going through the Haggadah, and he's saying over Divrei Torah, and they're singing Halal, and they're singing Zmiros, and they're just having an incredible time at their Seder, and it's so uplifting being able to serve Hashem at the Seder in this way. And the Seder keeps going on. They, they make sure to eat the Afikomen by Chatzos, but even after that, they just keep going, saying more Divrei Torah and more Shiros V'Zhibachas to Hashem, and they keep going, and it goes all night. And next thing you know, it's time for Shachros. I mean, it's like that in the Haggadah, right? Higiyah Zman Kriyash Shachros. And they go straight to Shul, 
And they daven, the davening from Shmuel is incredible. He feels on such a high. And they finish davening, and they go home, and they eat the Suda for lunch. And again, just continues. Suda ends, and as you might imagine, everyone, although on a spiritual high, physically they're exhausted. So they decide, okay, let's, we're going to go take a nap. Shmuel knows he's got the second Seder that night. He wants to continue to be able to keep serving Hashem in this way that for him is so meaningful. And so they go, everyone in the house goes and takes a nap. Next thing you know, somebody wakes up and it's maybe two hours before Chatzos. It's like 10 o'clock at night. And Shmuel kind of freaks out. I'm like, oh, what are we going to do? It's so close. We got, we got to run. They quickly, they dive in Mariv and they set the table and they start the Seder. And like they're rushing through the Haggadah as best as they can. Shmuel's like constantly like getting nervous, wants to make sure he eats the Afikomen before Chatzos. And they're trying to say the Haggadah and say the Divrei Torah, but it's not quite the same because they just don't have the time. And they eat the Afikomen by Chatzos and Shmuel's feeling a little bit like, I didn't quite, I kind of missed it. And they finish the Seder a little while later, go to sleep. And for the second day of Yontif, Shmuel is just, he's a little bit sabrachan. He's, he's kind of broken because he feels like, you know, Pesach's my Yontif. I connect to it so well. And yet here I am. I mean, you get two opportunities a year to do the Seder. And the second one, I feel like I blew it. And he just doesn't know what to do with himself. He feels like he missed out. And after Yontif, he goes to see his rabbi, goes to the Choza over Chalamayid. And he walks into the Choza. And the Choza, obviously being someone who had Ruach HaKodesh, before Shmuel even says anything, the Chose tells him, you know, that first Seder that you had gave a lot of nachas ruach and shamayim because you were serving Hashem in an amazing way and it was with such hachavas hadas and you really were growing from it and you really did such an incredible job. But that second Seder, that second Seder in shamayim created just almost an uproar of simcha. Hashem was so excited at the way you did that second Seder the way you grew in that second Seder and how you served him and did it so well. And Shmuel, of course, is just like, Rabbi, what are you talking about? I mean, the first Seder, of course, I mean, Baruch Hashem, I'm glad it gave Hashem Nachas, I would hope so, because of the way it went. The second Seder was like, it was like a rush job. I mean, what, what would be exciting about that? Why would Hashem really care, be excited about how I did it? And the Chosah tells him, you know, that first Seder, yes, it was amazing for you, because everything was set for you. That second Seder, do you think it's just a coincidence that you happened to sleep so late and everyone slept so late and suddenly you found yourself with no time, you had to rush through it? Hashem set that up. And he wanted to see how you would react when you didn't have the opportunity to do it the same way. And you went and did it as best as you could. It may not have felt as good for you because you wanted more, but you took the circumstances that Hashem put you in and you did as best as you could, and you maximized what little opportunity you had. You know, Pesach is the yontif of Emuna. It's all about believing, not just that Hashem is there, but that Hashem is involved in every step and every aspect of our lives. And that means that even when things are not going the way we want them to, that we maximize it as best as we can. I mean, I think we all know, had this experience where like you prepare and you get ready for the Seder, or even if you don't prepare, but you come to the Seder and you expect it to go a certain way. You know, and whether you end up at the Seder you know, by yourself and you're alone and you have nobody to talk to and you're just doing it as best you can, or you're sitting at a Seder with 50 people and you get annoyed at the fact that you have to listen to this person talk when you don't want to hear what they're talking about or someone's saying it in the Torah and you're tired of listening to it or somebody saying it in another gematria or whatever it is, and it's not going the way that you want. And if you just kind of let that happen, you kind of miss out. 
Because our Amuna tells us, this is the setup. This is what Hashem is putting you in. He wants to see how you're going to deal with it. And it's so important at the Seder especially to recognize that however it's going, we need to do the best that we can and do it besimcha as best as we can. And that's how we grow. And that's how we gain as much from the Seder and increase our Amuna for the whole year. Have an amazing yonder. And now we go all the way to the UK for Rabbi David Eisenberg. And as as you see, we have Rabbanim from 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 all over, from Baltimore, from Israel, from Brooklyn, from UK. So we're really trying to on, on all uh, of the four corners of the world. We're trying to have Rabbanim and 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 really touch the um, uh, people of all different um, backgrounds and, and different uh, speaking styles, so we can all be inspired by David Eisenberg. It is my honor and my privilege to be able to speak to you tonight for this great Pesach event of Stories of Inspiration. I'd like to thank Daniel Aguilar for the tremendous work that he does for Khan Yisrael. As a Rav and a Dashin, stories are literally my bread and butter. And to be able to have a website like Daniel Aguilar has, where you can go and you can hear story after story on different subjects, and the categorized is a resource that is tremendous, and I wish I would have had it so many years earlier. I'd also like to thank Chazak and Torah Anytime for everything that they do and for hosting this event. I'd like to share with you today a story that I read many years ago and that sparked off our Kimcha de Pesach in our shul when I told over the story to our community. There's a fellow by the name of Rabbi Dubi Zachter, and he was the Rav in a hotel over Pesach. And when he comes back, he meets up with Rabbi Nachman Zelter, who tells us a story. And he says, there's something very strange that goes on in the Haggadah. We're sitting at our Pesach table, and suddenly we say, Kol kol Anybody who is hungry, let him come and let me eat with us. Anybody who is needy, let him come and have the common Pesach with us. And many people ask the question, now? Now you ask the question? Now when you're at home and there's nobody around you, you say, anybody who needs, let them come and let them have Pesach? Now it's too late. You want to make the announcement? Make the announcement in Shul before you come home. Now it's too late for that. And Rabbi Zachter said, I learned the answer to this question when I was the Rav at a Pesach program. I was the Rav at a Pesach program, and at this Pesach program, not everybody was run-of-the-mill. There was a whole different eclectic group of people, and one of the people that came to this Pesach program was a young name, let's, young man by the name, let's call him Simcha. And this young Simcha was autistic and didn't really know how to engage with people properly. And what happened was, this Simcha was being sent there by his parents so that he'd be taken care of throughout Pesach, and that he would have a loving surroundings where he would have meals with everyone and people to hang out with. The Pesach Hotel was a wonderful place, but one of the problems that they had in this Pesach Hotel was that the dining room was too small to be able to accommodate everybody for their sedarim. And so what the hotel decided to do is they made a tent outside, and the tent was there for the overflow of people, for people to be able to go eat Seder. And what happened was, on the second night of Yom Tif, this Simcha made it out of davening, and he was just slightly later than everybody else. And he walks outside, and he cannot find anybody. He's looking around, and there's anybody to be found. He can't see where the people went. And being shy, and having the problem of being autistic, he just sat in the lobby waiting for someone to invite him. And sitting there, and sitting there for an hour and a half, until he gave up on his Seder. 
And Rabbi Zachter said that was one individual in the hotel, but there was another individual. There was an elderly couple that had come to the hotel this year without their children and grandchildren, just on their own. And the husband suffered from terrible migraines. And what happened was he got a migraine in the middle of the Seder, and about five minutes in he said to his wife, I just can't continue. I need you to sit on your own. I'm really sorry, but I have to go upstairs. I have to go to bed. I literally cannot sit here. I can't bear this pain. And he went upstairs, and the lady sat there for five minutes, for ten, but wasn't invited by anyone who was sitting there lonely on her own. And she just packed it in, moved upstairs as well, and gave up on her storm. And Rabbi Zachter says, I thought of people that When I think of the people that are needy, I think of the fellow that comes in the back of the shul. That might be the nebuch that might not have a place to eat, that might not have enough money to be able to afford food. And in reality, those aren't the only people that are needy. And sometimes the neediest people are the people in our own vicinity, the people that sit around us, the people that are part maybe even of our own family. They could be our parents who are living on their own. They could be our children who are screaming out for help. There's so many people out there that are needy that we don't even know about. And sometimes the neediest people sitting right next to us. And that's what he said. It means, You're right. We should be making the Pesach limitations when it comes to speaking about it in shul. But certainly in your own home, we should be extending that invitation as well. Our children, our families should know you are part of this Seder. You are part of us. And sometimes they don't feel part of that because they're shunned aside by the fact that we get so busy during the year. Our cell phones, our jobs, everything else that we do takes over our minds and our kids don't get the attention that they need and that they crave. And so this Pesach, when you sit down at the Seder and you say, ask yourself the question, is there anybody around my table that needs me more? Is there anybody around my table where I could be actually giving them more of my time and making them feel more of a mensch? And if the answer to that question is yes, which so often it is. Pesach is the time to make that change. It's Manche Rusenu. Let's make our way out of those terrible habits that we built around ourselves and free ourselves from the shackles of those habits and instead focus in on what we know is more important and what we know is right. So thank you again to Stories to Inspire. Chazak to our anytime for all the tremendous work you do for Klai Yisrael. And may we be Zoyche this year to see the true Geula. Benisim, Nigalu and Nisan, we came out of Mitzrayim, over Nisan, Asidin, Nigal, and Nisan, and Mitzrayim, Hashem, in the future, we will come out. Let it be this Nisan. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening, and have a great and a kosher Pesach. And talking about the, talking about um, as, um, magid and giving over, we know that the, the, the one of the, the one of the biggest magidim of, of our generation is Rabbi Pesach Kron, who has inspired tens of thousands of people every single year, year in and year out, through being an, through through being a mohel, through being a war renowned lecturer, through being an author, and is our great great honor to be upon Rabbi Pesach Kron. I am so proud to be part of this program, which is called Pesach Stories to Inspire. And really, it is being brought to you by two wonderful young men, one in the East Coast and one in the West Coast. The fellow on the West Coast is a young man by the name of Daniel Aguilar, 
who has the most wonderful organization. It's called Stories to Inspire. Now, I just want to tell you a little bit about this organization. Any one of you that's listening or watching can get more than 3,000 stories that are told by Rabbanim and noted speakers, and they are on many, many different topics. All you have to do is go on to www.storiestoinspire.org. Not only that, if you don't have a computer, you can listen to these stories. There's a hotline, I want to give it to you, both here in America and in Eretz Israel. I'll repeat the numbers twice. The New York number is 718 718- And in Eretz Yisrael, it's 072-327-5206. Again, 072-327-5206. You can get stories on any topic and they have an index. It's very easy to follow, whether you want on Chesed, on Tefillah, on Teira, on Yerushimayim, on Ashkocha Pratis, anything that you could imagine. Daniel has done a fabulous job of putting it together, and he's always adding new stories. Go on it. You'll be inspired. The second gentleman is a man here on the East Coast. His name is Nsanel Epstein. Now, this is being dedicated, Lazicha Nishmas, his wonderful grandfather, who I knew personally. His name was Dr. Howard Feintach, a tremendous Baltfila, so involved in the Nusach Atfila and in the Parish Atfila. He was a Gavaldika Baltstoka. And in Lashon Kodesh, of course, his name was Eliezer Moshe ben Aaron Yosef. Now, Nassanel Epstein is known as the Talus Man. Any type of Talus or Tzitzis that you want, Ashkenaz, Sfard, if you want Tchelas, whatever you want, you can always call the Talus Man. I'll give you his number, 856-745-9588. Again, 856-745-9588. And you can also go online www.thetalisman.com and Asana will come to your school, will come to your shul, will talk to you about all the aspects of Talis and Tcheles and Tzitzis. He's a remarkable young man. Both of these, Hashem should bench them, both Daniel and Asano, for all the Avedis HaKodesh that they are doing and how they are helping the Tzibor in so many, many different ways. So now let's get to the three stories. These three stories are all Pesach stories, and they have inspired me every time that I have told them, and they inspire those that hear them. Let me tell you the first one. It shows fabulous sensitivity of a great tzaddik that we all certainly heard of, and I had the schus to meet numerous times. His name was Rav Shlema Zalman Orbach. Over a half a million people came to his Leviah many years ago. He was a brother-in-law of Rav Shalom Shadron, and that's how I got to know him. Now, Rav Shlema Zalman had a nephew called Michal, and a few days before Yontav, he said to his nephew, Michal, I want you to come to my home right after Biochometz. And Michal was surprised because, you know, in Eretz Yisrael, they have only one day Yontav. It's not like us that have two days Yontav. So everything evolves around that first day Yontav. And Erev Yontav is a busy time. But if the Godel Hador, his uncle, asked him to come Dafka right after Bria 
chametz, he knew he had to be there. So, of course, he burned his chametz and then he ran to see what his great uncle wanted. And he was surprised because on the table by Rav Shlomo Zalman were 10 envelopes. They were all sealed and they were all named and addressed and they had names and addresses on each one of them. And Rav Shlomo Zalman said, Michal, I need you to deliver these Erev Yontif. Go right now and deliver them as soon as possible. Now, Michal is a tremendous Askin, and he had raised a tremendous amount of money for many of the Nitzrachim in Yerushalayim. And when he quickly glanced at the names on the envelopes, he knew some of those names, because he had brought them stucca before, and he has raised money for some of these on the Im. And he was surprised, he said, Uncle, or however he called him, he said, some of these people, I know that they already have money. Nobody's going out to buy matzah and wine, Erev Yantif. And Rav Shlomo didn't answer. He just said, Michal, please do what I tell you and go and deliver these envelopes. Well, of course, as I said, Michal was very busy. So he went very quickly to house number one, house number two, house number three. He didn't stick around to see what was in the envelopes. He just had to deliver them. But... The fifth guy opened the envelope right as soon as he got it, right as soon as he knew that it was from Abshleim Zalman. And Michal took a look at it, what was in the envelope, he couldn't believe it. It was tickets to the Gan HaChayot, which is the biblical zoo, which is in Yerushalayim. What in the world was Abshleim Zalman sending these people, Erev Pesach, that was so important, tickets to the Gan HaChayot, and besides, there was some cash in there as well. Well, now when he came to the sixth home, he waited for the guy to open up the envelope, and it was again the same thing. Tickets to the Ghana Chayot, the biblical zoo, plus some cash. Well, he couldn't understand this, but whatever it was, he certainly wasn't going back Erev Yontif to ask Rav Shlema Zalman. But the first day, Cholamayit, he went right after davening in the morning. He went to his uncle, and he said, please, please, could... The Rav explained why was it so important to give envelopes with tickets to the Ganachayot and some cash to all these families. Listen to what Rav Shlema Zalman said. You'll see greatness. He said, I know the children of Yerushalayim. On Yantif, they'll all be talking about the trips that they are taking with their parents on Cholomayit. Now, there'll be some kids in shul whose parents couldn't afford to take them any place. And you know how miserable they're going to feel? That other kids are able to go places and they can't. When children would see that and hear that, they'd go home and complain to their parents. And that only would it ruin the children's Simchas Yantif, but it would also ruin the Simchas Yantif of the parents, because the parents would feel guilty that they can't take their children anyplace. He said, I wanted every one of these families, that the children should know they also have a place to go, and it's a beautiful place to go. And like this, he gave the tickets and some cash to all these families, so that those families and their children would have a Simchas Yontif. How great is that? And that's what the Rambam tells us in Hilchas Megillah. There's nothing, there's nothing, Ta'chadosh Baruch that's so important as making those people who don't have to make sure that they feel good over Yontif. And that's exactly what Rav Shlomo Zalman was doing. That's the first story. I want to tell you the second story, which was told to me by the person to whom it happened. Now, in April of 1945, after the Second World War was over, the Skalena Rebbe, Rebbe Zisha, Portugal, was in a place called Chernovitz in Bukovina. That was part of Romania. 
but it was being controlled by the Soviet Union. And we know today, as I'm making this video presentation, how terrible it could be when you're under the auspices of the Soviet Union. We know what's going on in Ukraine. So they, in Romania, were under the Soviet Union. And the Jews were nervous, but Rav uh, Eliezer Zisha Portugal, the, Port the Skolena Rebbe, wanted to be sure that those who had come back from the war, and there were many Rabbanim that had come back to Romania, they were going to leave eventually, but now they were there, that they would have matzahs for Yantif, at least some matzahs. So he had a chassid by the name of Fischl Kerpel, and he said to Fischl, please go out and get some wheat, and we're going to mill it, we're going to make flour, and we're going to have matzahs, and we're going to give it out to those Rabbanim that came back from the war. Not everybody survived, but those that are here in Chernovitz, in Bukovina, we're going to give them three Matzahs each. And that's what happened. They put together some wheat and they milled it and they ground it and made flour and they put, put together matzahs. And then some of the Rabbonim came, some of them sent Shlichim because they knew that the Skalana Rebbe was giving out matzahs. Now, there was a Rebbe, his name was the Serot Vizhnitzer Rebbe. His name was Raboruch Hager. He also was there in Romania at the time. And he had an eight year old boy, Moshe. Now, Moshe eventually became the Sarah vision to Rebbe Haifa, and I spoke to him when he was an adult. He's the one who told me the story, because when he was eight years old, his father, Raborachaga, told him, go to the Skalena Rebbe, because he's giving out matzahs. So the little boy goes, just like his father sent him, and he says, Rebbe, I just want to give the Rebbe regards from my father, the Sarah vision to Rebbe, and the Skalena said, oh, your father's such a tzaddik, please give him my warmest regards, and he gave him three matzahs. The little boy told me, little Moshele, looked at the Rebbe and said, my father told me that you're giving three matzahs, but he would like to have six. And the Skolana Rebbe said, six matzahs? I can't give six matzahs. If I give six matzahs to you, I won't have for other people. I don't have enough to give to everybody. He said, what should I do? My father insisted that I can't leave unless you give me six matzahs. What could the Skolana Rebbe do? The Sarah vision of the Rebbe was a tremendous tzaddik. So the Skalana Rebbe said, okay, if that's what your father wants, I'll give it to you. And he said, don't forget, give him my warmest regards. He's a very special person, your father. And that's what he did. The little boy told me, he went, I mean, he told it to me, of course, when he was an adult. I called him a Haifa. And he used these matzahs. He actually brought the matzahs to his father. Now listen to this. Heir of Pesach, Rabbor Haga, sent the eight-year-old boy Moshe back with three matzahs to the Rebbe. Tzerev he comes into the Skolana Rebbe's house and he says, my, ma my father said I should give you these three matzahs. What do you mean? You're making a joke? I told you in the beginning that I couldn't give you the six matzahs. I wouldn't have enough for everybody. And you took six. Your father said he wanted six. And now you're giving me back three. What is the meaning of this? Listen to what the little boy said to the Rebbe in the name of his father. He said, my father knew. And he said to me that there's no question because... You, the Skalana Rebbe, are such a tzaddik that you would give out the best matzahs to everyone and you wouldn't have perfect matzahs for yourself. And my father knew that you would give him perfect matzahs. So he took three extra matzahs and saved it just right before Pesach to bring it back to you so you would have the perfect matzahs that you were giving to others. And you know something what's so great about that is because the Skalana Rebbe was thinking about everybody else. And the Sarah Vision Rebbe was thinking about him. That's greatness.
Those I can tell you them, they don't think only about themselves, they're thinking about others. The third story I want to tell you happened right here in this house where I am making this. I'm making this video presentation in my living room and this happened right in the other room right here in the dining room. It happened more than 20 years ago. We were sitting at the Seder table. I was leading the Seder with my children and some of my grandchildren. And at that time, I had a four-year-old grandson. Today, Baruch Hashem, he's married with two little kids himself. But this story goes back, like I say, more than 20 years. It's a little boy, Avram Zalek Pfeiffer. And just as we're about to say, Vahisha Omda, and that's a very happy time of the Seder. Everybody picks up the case of wine and we sing together. And my little grandson comes over to me. You know, he couldn't follow the whole Seder, so he's running from room to room. And he comes in and he says, Zadie, can I sit on your lap? Well, any of you out there that will be Zadies or Bubbies, when your grandchild asks you, can I sit on your lap, you know you're going to say yes, right? So I picked up the case with my right hand, because I'm a righty, and I picked up my little boy, my grandson, on my left lap, and we began singing Vahishamda. And as we began singing, I looked at the words, and somehow the words struck me as they had never struck me before. And suddenly, tears came to my eyes. And I started crying. And everybody's looking at me. What is he crying about? This is such a happy time of the Seder. And I'll tell you why I was crying. Because I said these words. Not only one nation is trying to get rid of us. In every generation, they're trying to get rid of us. And I was thinking, isn't it enough? We lost six million in the war, right? And we lost over 30,000 soldiers already in Eretz Yisrael. When does it end? It never stops. And that's what the Baal God is telling us. That's terrible. And that's why I was crying, because I was thinking, what's going to be with this kid? And what's going to be with all the kids his age? What does the future hold for them? And of course, I tried not to look up. I didn't want anybody to see me crying. And we finished singing the song. I wiped my tears, and we went on. I didn't say a word about it. I didn't want to ruin the ambiance and the atmosphere of the Seder. But after the Seder, I took out every single Haggadah that I had. And I had to find somebody that says something that would give me some consolation. And I found the Haggadah of the Chidah, Rab Chaim Yosef David Azaloi, the great Svadik Tzadik. And you know what he writes? He asks a question. He says, what did the Balagodah mean? What does that mean? It's not so. Not every generation were trying to, were they trying to kill us. In America, Baruch Hashem, we're, we're flourishing. We have yeshivas, koilos, besyakos. Twice already we had over 90,000 people at MedLife Stadium for the Siam Ashas. Yidin lived hundreds of years in other countries, whether it was in Poland or Lithuania, and they survived. And then, un unfortunately, at the end, it was terrible. But it's not Shabbat over a dar. And the Chidok is a fabulous answer. And he says, you know what the Balakot is telling you? It's not the sword, it's the smile. When you think things are good, and take a look in America today, we have worse assimilation than we ever had before. We're losing so many Jews. Why? Because of the smile. Because every person... If they're not religious, they can get a job any place, they can go to any college, any bar, they can mix with the Goyim. And it's the smile, you get along with the Goyim, you begin to dance like them and sing like them and act like them and think like them. 
And that's what the Balagot is telling us. Behold, be careful. Tell your children, be careful. It's not only the sword, it's the smile. When you feel so comfortable with the Goyim in the same neighborhood, in the same planes, in the same trains, in the same elevators, you have to be careful. That's what the Balagot is telling us. I felt much better. The threat I felt, at least we're aware of it, we can be aware of it and be careful. Now all of you know, or many of you know, that I am a male. That was the first night of Pesach. Cholomoyed Pesach. I went out to do a bris in Suffolk County, a town called Mount Sinai, of all places. The father was not Jewish. He was an Italian guy. But the mother was Jewish. The mother was Jewish, and that's why her parents wanted that their grandson should have a bris. And of course, the child is Jewish, so of course, I did the bris. Now, I wish I would have had a camera. Because right after the bris, when I finished, I turned around, and on the table there was food that they were going to serve. Listen to this. There was a blue box of Horowitz, Margaret, and Matzis, a plate of bagels, a meat platter, and a cheese platter. Every Avery you could think of. Chalmets and matzah, bosa, b'cholov, kosher, non-kosher. What is going on here? How did a bris like this happen? What does Leo and Levi think about a bris like this? What does Hashem think about a bris like this? How did this happen? Matzah, chomets, bagels, meat, cheese, what's going on here? You know what the answer is? Because of the smile in America, not, not the sword. Because the mother could get along and go in any place where she met non-Jewish people and became so friendly with them and she ended up marrying. That's horrible. That's what the Chidah is telling us. And that's the lesson of this third story. We must show a pride and a love of Yiddishkeit. That even though we live in Golas, no matter where we live in America, any place in any country, we're in Golas. And you've got to be careful. Because sometimes in Golas, they're very nice to us. But when they're very nice, you've got to be careful. That's the lesson. Let's give on this Yontif a pride and show that we love to do mitzvahs. And we love each other and we care for each other. And if we have that achtos to wait up, Shlim Zalman had for those poor children. And we think about those that have less than us. And we think about the Skalena Rebbe, how we went out to help others, even in difficult times. That's how we become great Yidden. Hashem should bless all of us that this month of Nisan, Shataka be the month of Geula, we should be able to all go to Eretz Yisrael, finish with the Golas, and be together with Mashiach, Bemher Yameinu. Rabbi Krohn, our next speaker is Daniel Koren, who is the, who is one of the who is one of the one of the rabbis at at China Shul at 184 Shea in New York, and uh, and day in and day out he puts out so many shirim. You can watch them on tour anytime; they're unbelievable on so many wide variety of topics. Rabbi Daniel Koren, I want to thank stories to inspire your chazak, and of course to her anytime. One of the most powerful and inspiring stories for Pesach that I try to review. It's the, it parallels the theme of Pesach, and that is the story from Avitzlach Shlomo of Ongar Bnei Brak. Avitzlach Shlomo Ongar Bnei Brak relates the following story. A congregant, let's call him Yosef, shows up one day, and he's startled from a dream. Avonga says, tell me the dream. He says, in the dream, I see my friend Moshe. Moshe, who's Moshe? Moshe was a friend of mine that I befriended in the Nazi barricades in the Nazi of darkness in Auschwitz was there together. He was a son of Tzadikim. He was Mechazik and He was running after every mitzvah. And we got close. And this Moshe is beaming. He's showing up in a dream and he says, remember Yosef, that mitzvah that I gave you, the merit of that mitzvah, I want it back. I need it now. 
So Rav Yosef relates to Ravonga what exactly was this mitzvah that he was that Moshe was talking about, and he says the following: We were right before Pesach. Moshe shows up and he says, "I have flour enough for two kazesim for Pesach. I want you Yosef to go and bake it, and I'll split it with you. You get one kazais, I'll get one kazais." Rav Yosef said, "I was excited, and I went and I baked the matzahs. I was successful. I was able to bake, but on the way back, a Nazi saw me, and he started beating me up. And then, when the matzah fell out of my hands, he even beat it up even more. And I was blood, and it was—it looked like it was over. But somehow, I got together, and I was able to put back the pieces of the matzah that was left, and it was one kezayis. I came back to Moshe, and I said, Moshe, we have one kezayis. What do we do?" Moshe said, "It's a good question. It's my flower, but you went through these afflictions." I think the right thing is, I'll eat the kezais, you're going to get the, the merit of the mitzvah. And that's what we did. We made a deal, and we sealed it, in, and that's what happened. Moshe, the next day, was singing Hallel while he was working in, his, in the labor camps, and suddenly a Nazi noticed it, and they killed him on the spot. Hashem Yinkum Doma, he died. His family was, was killed. Children were killed. There was nothing left. 30 years later, he's coming in a dream, and he says, I need that mitzvah. Rav Unger said, I don't know how to respond, but go to the Rebbe Machnovka. The Rebbe Machnovka will be the right person to give her the answer. So we went, I went, so we, he, Rav Yisra says, he, they went to the Rebbe. And the Rebbe said, after hearing the story, he said, you have to give him the merit. Rav Yisra said, I, I didn't understand why. He said, because this Moshe has nothing. He has no children. He can't do mitzvahs anymore. He's in an incredible high place. But he can't do anymore. You do. You have children. You have grandchildren. And you could still do kezesim of matzah. Therefore, I want you to go tonight to the shore. No one's there. And I want you to think about what you went through and wholeheartedly give up that mitzvah to Moshe. And, I, and that's what Yosef did. And that night, Moshe came to him and dreamed, beaming and thanking him. The next day, Yosef came to Rav Unger and told him and related what happened. And Rav Unger said, it's incredible. You know what? One of the lessons that you could take from here. Here you have a tzaddik Moshe. was The Gemara says he's in such a high place. What he did in order to be able to 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 to, to survive, to, to be connected to the Rabbanisham, everything that he went through, and still what? He still needed another merit of a mitzvah to go higher. And obviously this was a special mitzvah because it came through difficulties. Of Yasef, when difficulties show up in our lives, that's when we really could strive and grab the opportunity because we can't imagine what reward. And that's the inspiration of Pesach. Pesach is a time where we go through the servitude and the difficulties and the avdus, but that's because it's all part and parcel of what makes it possible to reach levels we can't imagine. Thank you, Rabbi Koren. Our next speaker is from from the Memphis Kolel. He is one of the founding members of the Memphis Kolel, and and um, he's he's been on the, on the twenty time daily dose numerous 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 times, and and um, and it's a great honor to call upon Rabbi Yoshua Nissan. Welcome everyone. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Stories to Inspire. Thank you, Tara, anytime. Thank you, Chazak, for creating this event and this chance to prepare for Pesach and for all the tremendous work you do for Kal Yisrael, giving us such inspiration and such Torah. May you all be zoichet to go and continue helping Kal Yisrael in unbelievable ways. 
When we come to the Yom Tov Pesach, so we know our Svarm HaKadoshim tell us, Mchal and Derech Hashem tells us that every Yom Tov gets re-experienced and on Pesach we get to experience once again freedom. Freedom from Mitzrayim to be able to go free. And you may ask, people do ask, what's freedom? What freedom do we need? We're free, we're in America, we get to do what we want. But the truth is that Mitzrayim is constriction, smallness, and it's something that plagues every one of us, areas that we get stuck, or mindsets that we get stuck in, and they're holding us back and giving us a very, very narrow ability to truly be the Jews we want to be. And let me tell you a story about somebody that I believe was very, very free. And hopefully we can be inspired from it to walk into our Yom Tov correctly. The story happened to my great uncle, Rabbi Dr. Ibn J. Torsky. I heard it from his grandson who was there. And his grandson said that my great uncle was, like many Hasidim, cared greatly about baking matzahs Arab Pesach. It's the preferred matzahs to use for the Seder. They're very, very special. It's very unbelievable. And my great uncle every year would put in a lot of effort to try and make sure that he can bake matzahs Arab Pesach. By us in Hanestaipo, we even say halal with a bracha when we're doing it. So it's a magnificent, magical experience one can imagine. Just hours before Pesach begins, and you're there creating these matzahs saying halal. And my great uncle put a lot of effort to try and do that. And one year they were in Eretz Yisrael. And he had spent a few weeks organizing with the matzah bakery and how and with his grandson to arrange that he should be able to do it. And he made sure to take care of what he needs to take care of earlier in the week so that Erev Pesach will have those few hours open to be able to drive and go bake those special Erev Pesach matzahs. So his grandson pulls up to the house to pick him up to go bake these matzahs. My great uncle comes out. Rabbi Torsky comes out. He gets in the car and they're about ready to go. And then he says, wait, we can't go. So his grandson says, well, why? Well, we, do, we, we put so much into it. We're so prepared. Well, let's go. He said, no, no. I just realized that my wife went down for a nap. He said, and his granddaughter and her family were planning on coming for Yomta. So he turns to his grandson and he says, what if they come while we're out and they're going to knock on the door and they're going to wake up my wife from her nap? How could I let that happen? No, I'm staying home. We're not going. You can imagine his grandson was in shock, giving up everything we put into this. And he turned to him and he said, it's not about Erev Pesach Matzis. It's about what does Hashem want us to do right now? Everything we put into it, it seems so magnificent. That's not the point. What 
does Hashem want from us right now? To go back in the house and keep someone from being woken up? And that's the greatness of this moment. And with that, he went back in, said not a word to anybody. He gave up on the Arab Pesach Matzahs. And his wife did not even know that. Years later, my cousin told it to her. She had no idea it ever happened. My friends, that is freedom. How often do we get stuck in the way we imagine it to be or the way we want it to be or the type of worship or inspiration that we think we are looking for, that we want to design? And if we're going to give up, if we're going to do something, we certainly want everyone to know about it. But Rabbi Tversky was a free man. And all that was captivating and all that he invested and all that he wanted from the Arab Pesach Matzahs, they did not narrow his view. They did not constrict him. They were not a Mitzrayim. They were not chains that he was locked into. But he always had the freedom and the expansiveness and the vision that I'm doing everything for Hashem. What does Hashem want of this experience? And he was able to change on a dime and no one has to know because it's between me and Hashem and that's glorious enough. That's everything I'm looking for. And nothing can hold me back from that. It's unbelievable freedom, my friends. I wish it upon myself. I wish it upon every one of us. The freedom to remember we, we want to do what Hashem wants, not what we want. And that that's true greatness. And when we come to Pesach, I think it's so integral to keep this in mind. Because so often we have a vision of the way it's going to go. I've got my Divrei Torah I prepared. I've got the Karpas exactly where it's supposed to be and how it's going to be. I have my dream Seder in my mind. I have the way everyone's going to act and react. And then we get there and things can be very different than we thought. Someone else wants to say a lot of Divrei Torah. Somebody forgot to buy that vegetable, they have to use a different vegetable. We find the matzah and then somebody knocks it off the table. And if we get locked up, and so, so many times we do, because we're so desperate to make the Seder awesome and spiritually and uplifted, that, that, that we then get so aggravated. Why did that happen? And who did that? And why isn't it going right? And in truth, at that very moment that we're looking for freedom of Pesach, we're locking ourselves into the prison of Mitzrayim. Embrace freedom, my friends. Hashem, I want to follow you. You tell me how this Seder should go. Sure, I made plans. I prepared to do it the way I thought was right. But if I see that you're directing me another way, I want to follow you. I want to throw off the shackles of my perception I want to be able to leave Egypt and walk out into the desert to follow you to our Sinai 
And although walking with you into a desert is a path that they did not know how it arrives at our Sinai, but we know it's following you, and that's all we need to know. That's the freedom we want, to follow you anywhere, Hashem. And on Pesach, we want to embrace that again. Yeah, I don't see people are sleeping. Maybe I need to cut that out. Maybe I need to change this. Maybe I need to tweak this. Maybe I need to care about that person who's crying. And instead of getting so into that section, I want to do whatever I need to do. And maybe it looks like I'm marching out into the desert. And I don't see how that path leads to our Sinai. But Hashem, I know it's your path. And I am free enough to follow it, to follow you, and to know that I will end up at Harsinai only by following you. And that's all I care about. If we can embrace that, if we could taste that, if we could feel that, to give up on our perception and our small vision for Hashem's awesome grand vision, which is perfect, then we will be truly free. And we will be able to taste and experience all the elevation that Hashem is giving us through all those moments, even if they're not apparent as we experience them, they will still be packed with total dedication and closeness with Hashem. And that is all the elevation we could ever, ever dream of. May we all find freedom, find Hashem, and have an amazing, amazing Pesach. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Rabbi Nisan. Our next speaker is Rabbi Ephraim Epstein, who is currently the scholar in residence for the Jewish Federation of Southern of Southern New Jersey. He's also he's also he was also he's also a community rav in Cherry Hill for over 20 years. He recently purchased a tremendous sefer called Davening Divine, uh, which, which, is which is a tremendous sefer on the Shabbos Davening, the Shabbos Weekly Davening. And, and you could purchase the sefer right now at DaveningDivine.com. He also has tremendous video series called A Taste of Shabbos and many other tremendous series. It is, our, it is our great honor to call upon by Ephraim Epstein. Thank you to Chazak, Torah Anytime, and Stories to Inspire for inviting me for this Pesach extravaganza of sharing stories that can add a little something for people's preparation and enjoyment and celebration of the Holy Days and the great celebration of Pesach. We live in an age where everybody from Rabbanim, Mashkichim, and even uh, therapists tell us to live more intentionally, have more kavana, understand what you're saying and say it like you mean it. Say it like you mean it and mean it when you say it. We come to the Seder table are you having guests? Are you having guests? Who's coming? Who's coming? Everybody asks each other on the way to shul, on the way home from shul, who's coming? Who's coming? And then we get to the Seder table and we all say, Kol dichvin Anybody who wants, come and eat. Anybody who wants, come and enjoy. So we know we're talking about the times of the Beis HaMikdash, may it be rebuilt soon, even this year. However, 
Do you really mean it? Do you really mean it? Kol dichven Start thinking now. Kol dichven Start thinking now. Is there someone that you can invite who needs a place or you can help get a place? I had that in mind a bunch of years ago, 15, 16 years ago, where it was Mamash Erev Pesach. And I didn't have a chance to buy a tie for my suit. So after I went swimming in the water of the lettuce, and after all the responsibilities were done by midday, we sold the chametz, burnt the chametz, said to my wife, I'm heading over to Macy's. I want to buy something nice. So I walk into Macy's and I'm going and I find a very, very lovely tie for my suit. And I'm keeping in my head, my antennas were up. And all of a sudden, a woman stops me and says, uh, when's, when's that holiday? When's Passover? And I said, tonight and in my head I'm thinking and she says I say to her well do you have a place for the Seder and she says I haven't been to a Seder in 22 years I said well once every 22 years is a good way to uh, continue but how about doing it tonight and she was with an African American friend who I don't think was from Ethiopia, and said, I'll only come if I could bring my friend because I was planning on spending the evening with her. I said, to save a neshama, to have a Jew eat matzah on Pesach night? I said, come on, both of you. And she took my number and she took my address. She called later and she showed up to the Seder. And we sat there, and she sat through many hours. I don't know if she stayed till the bitter end of Chad but she stayed for the bulk of the Seder, and in the middle, she says, you know, I'm actually engaged to somebody who's not Jewish. I said, well, would you be able to have a Seder with him like you're having tonight? And she said, oh, no. And sure enough, We had a wonderful Seder. We wished her the best. I don't even remember her last name. I don't know if I ever knew her last name. And she was off. All of a sudden, three months later, I start getting messages from somebody in the shul. You know, I met so-and-so, right? I don't know. uh, uh, Maria. And she sends her best. I'm like, oh, okay, thanks, not knowing who it is. And then three months later, all of a sudden, people go shopping from where I live in Cherry Hill and Lakewood sometimes for big shops. And people came back and said, you know, there's a lady who's working at the register who says that she knows you. I don't remember her name. So the next time I went, this is almost like eight months later, I go into the supermarket and there she is. I didn't even buy anything. I went right to the register. I said, how are you? I haven't seen you since Pesach. What are you doing? 
And she said, because of that Seder, I didn't go through with the wedding, and I found my way, and now I live outside Lakewood, and I'm here, and I'm involved in the community, and since then she's grown and grown, all because not I went to buy a tie, but because it was in my head before Pesach, tol kol dichvin yesei have it in mind today, and not just when you get to Halach Ma'anya. Have a wonderful Chakashar V'Sameach. Thank you, Rabbi Epstein. Our next speaker is Rabbi Shlomi Erlich, who is a tremendous, renowned speaker and educator. It's a great honor to call upon the Rabbi. Hi, Eden. I want to share with you something that happened just a couple of months ago. I give a share in a yeshiva in Muncie. It's called Koich Vayoyv. The Rosh Hashivas, Barry Weber, the famous singer. It's for Hasidish boys that were on the street and they want to come back and we help them. I was giving a shir and they were sitting right near me, a bacher. Lila was talking and the bacher says, Rebbe, can I have your watch? I said, sure, I take it off and give it to him. As I'm giving the shir, I realize that he keeps on looking at it, playing with it. So after the shir, I told him, you know what, Tzadik, you can have it. I see you like it. So he says, thank you, thank you so much. As I was leaving Yeshiva, he said, Rebbe, can I come with you in the car? I want to talk to you privately. I said, sure. He comes to my car and he tells me, I want to share with you something that happened to me yesterday, this boy tells me. His, he was on the street, his parents kicked him out, he comes from a very ultra Hasidish home and his parents don't understand him. And as he was going through his very turbulent times, they kicked him out of the house. So he tells me, they left me without money, without everything. So now I was in yeshiva for a couple of weeks. I ran out of cigarettes yesterday. He said, cigarettes is the only thing I have, I need the nicotine. I don't have money, torn clothing, nothing. So yesterday I was... Mom was broken, so I went out of the yeshiva, I was walking in the back, and I looked up to Shemayim and I said, Hashem, you are my father now, my other father kicked me out of the house. And he, he said, I found myself talking to Hashem in such a real way. And he stumbled onto a cemetery, there's a cemetery right in back of our yeshiva. He saw a, a Yiddish caver, and he threw himself on the caver, he tells me, and he said, I don't know who you are, but you cannot daven anymore, you cannot do any mitzvahs anymore. I was told, that a mess cannot do anything anymore. I'm going to say a few kapitlachtilam that I remember by heart. And you take it to Hashem and ask Hashem, please, I need to have money, I need to have cigarettes, and I need to have some clothing. He says a few kapitlachtilam, and he leaves. He says within seconds, he gets a phone call from this young man, this tzaddik that took him off the street and sent him to our yeshiva. Phones him and he says, where are you? I came to visit you in yeshiva. He says, oh, I'm back of the building. He tells me, I wipe up my tears. He comes in front of the building and he meets this young man. And he schmoozes with him a couple of minutes. And Singaman tells him, you know, this morning someone threw into my car a carton of Newport cigarettes. You smoke, don't you? He said, of course, Newport is my favorite cigarette. He gives him a whole carton of cigarettes. The Singaman has this younger brother, which I happen to know who he is. He's sitting in the car. And he says, you know, I just did a business deal this morning. And I said, I'm going to give a meister money, a few hundred dollars. You can give a bachar meister money, right? Takes out a few hundred dollars and gives it to the boy. This boy is telling me, I walk away from this car. I was just 30 seconds ago by this caver. And I done, Hashem already sent me cigarettes, and he already sent me money. Within a few seconds later, he gets a phone call. He answers the phone. He has a modern Orthodox aunt. And she calls him, she says, you know, I just went shopping online for my son, my teenager, which is, which is your, your age, your size. And at checkout, it says 50% off. So I went back and I took double. So I ordered for you jeans and t-shirts. He tells me this boy, you don't understand, Rebbe. I was by the cave a few minutes ago, within a minute, I had cigarettes, money, and clothing. 
And now the next day, the cherry on the top, you gave me a beautiful watch. Tidy and Paisach is on the way. Paisach is coming. Paisach is the yontif for a minute. As the Zayar Kudush says on Matzah, when you eat a Matzah, it has a spiritual power and it should also be a, a logical power that you should think about. The Matzah is Michle the Asvaseh. It's the food of a minute. It's all about the minah betochen. I know a lot of people want to know which caver it is where he davened. I don't think it's that. <laughs> he davened to the Irish with the raw emotions, real. So King Paisach, all of us should re-encourage ourselves and talk about the minah in betochen hashguch haprutas that Hashem has on all of us. And to be able to connect again, now is the time, it's misigil for this. We should have all kinds of conversations with our dear children and our mishpuchah, they should ask more than four questions, and all kinds of questions about Yiddishkeit, and that I like in the Befrat in today's days, where we have to put in so much more emin on our children. The winds outside, the world looks very colorful, but it's not. The real colorful, the real beauty is in Yiddishkeit. We have to put in emin and betuchen, and then zikin daran, and now it's this mom, Ashaf, we should all be zoiche to have the emin and the cards, and we should have in a whole year like this, Bachar Davant. You're going to see that Hashem is going to give you head. Such betuchen, Hashem is for sure going to give it to me. And we should also have, we should be Zoychataka to be as good as Tzedek Bamayi. I want to thank Tor Anytime and many other organizations that are featuring this unbelievable inspiration. They're using technology for Hashem's sake. Talking about passing on the generation to generation, we had Rabbi Kron, Rabbi Pesach Kron already speaking tonight. Now is our great honor to call upon um, his, his son, who's a tremendous um, Rav. Educator, Mohel, and speaker, Rabbi Eliezer Kron. Welcome to Pesach Stories to Inspire. I'd like to thank Stories to Inspire and Chazak and Torah Anytime for giving me this opportunity just to share one of my favorite stories with you. And this story took place with Rav Levi Yitzchak of Bardichev. Rav Levi Yitzchak of Bardichev, the Bardichev Rebbe, was very, very well known for his love of Am Yisrael for Klal Yisrael, and for being Malamed Chus, find, finding good things for them. So this story took place a couple of hundred of years ago, and he it happened on Erev Pesach in the afternoon, after the time when you're not allowed to have any chametz anymore, after this man, beer chametz, and he went over to his chassidim and he said, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to go out and find somebody that has Turkish cigars. So they said, Rebbe, Turkish cigars? Nobody has Turkish cigars. Russia's at war with Turkey right now. Anybody who has a product from Turkey could be, could, could be arrested, could be sent to Siberia, put in jail. Nobody has. They said, please, it's important. I need you to find. What do you need it for? Don't ask questions. Just find it for me. And they went from house to house and nobody had Turkish cigars. Finally, they found one person and he said, what do you need for cigars? He said, it's for the Rebbe. What is the Rebbe? I don't know. He told us not to ask questions. He said, okay, don't tell anybody. They look left and right. There's nobody around. No police. He says, okay, I have Turkish cigars, but don't tell anybody you got it from me. Here's it. Here it is for the Rebbe. You could take it to him. And they were so happy. They brought it to the Rebbe. And the Rebbe said, amazing. I need you to do me another favor. I need you to find me Austrian silk. He said, Rebbe, Austrian silk? Nobody has Austrian silk. Russia's at war with Austria also. You're not allowed to have Austrian silk. Someone could be arrested for that as well. He said, just do me a favor. Try to find it. It's important. What? It, don't ask questions. And they go from house to house. Nobody has. Finally, one person, the same razzle-dazzle. 
what do you need it for? It's for the Rebbe. What does the Rebbe need it for? We don't know. Don't ask questions. Fine. I'll give it to the Rebbe, but you better not tell anybody. Then make sure nobody's watching. And he, Mamish, risks himself and he goes to his closet underneath the boards and he gives them the Austrian silk. And they bring it to the Rebbe. And the Rebbe says, thank you so much. I have one more favor to ask you. What's that? I need you to find me some chametz. He said, Rebbe, chametz? Nobody has chametz. You're not allowed to have chametz anymore. It's, it's Pesach afternoon. And he said, no, I need you to find me somebody, a yid in, in, uh, in Berdichev that has, that has chametz. And they went from house to house and not one person had chametz. They all thought they were crazy. That's how they spent their, uh, Pesach, their Arab Pesach afternoon. I'm not sure what their wives were, 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 were thinking. But they were going around from house to house. Nobody had chametz. They came back to the Rebbe. Rebbe, nobody. We couldn't find anyone that has chametz. And the Rebbe went outside and he looked up to Shemayim and he said, Rabbi Nishalaylam, look, look how special your Yidin are. Look how Choshev Am Yisrael is. Turkish cigars, they're willing to take a chance. They could go to jail. They'll take a chance. Austrian silk, they'll take a chance. But chomets, if they have chomets, they're not going to jail. They're not going to Siberia. They're not going to be arrested. And nobody has chomets. Other things, they'll take a risk. But chomets, nobody has an ounce of of chomets. And that is a great lesson for us as we enter the Yont of Pesach. And we're cleaning, and we're cooking, and we're being so careful with all the halachos. Am Yisrael, Klal Yisrael, is so careful with all the minute details. Look, anybody who knows any of the Noshim Tzidkaniyos, how careful they are cleaning the house for Chomets. And I know there was a joke recently in the Kichels, in the Mishpacha magazine, how they overdo it. And it's funny, it's cute. But don't let anybody chepper you. This is a message to the wives. The husbands, they shouldn't be cheppering their husbands, shouldn't be bothering their wives. But the wives, don't be scared by the jokes people say. You are all special. That you're all so careful not to have even a tiny, tiny bit of chametz in your house. That's the way the Yontif of Pesach always was. Certainly you have to have guidance from your rabbi, from your rav, what is required, what is not required. And even if you want to do it anyways, it's important to know what's required and what's not. But we're all special. All of Am Yisrael is special. That we would never, never, never even dream of thinking of having a little bit of chametz near our our food or in our house and that's what makes all of us special a lightning rod is not going to hit us if we have chametz and still that's how special we are Yisrael Kedoshim leading up to the Yantif of Pesach and HaKadosh Baruch Hu looks down at us and smiles at us how we prepare for this incredible incredible Chag coming up we should all have a Chag Kosher V'Sameach and Lashana Habab Yerushalayim all right, thank you, Rabbi Kron. Our next speaker is Rabbi Label Lamb, who's been a Mahanech for so, for, for so many years and really, really educating and inspiring people of all backgrounds, men, women, everybody. And he's our great heart to call upon Rabbi Label Lamb. Why are questions so important? Questions create a vessel to receive an answer. One anonymous philosopher once said, There's nothing more irrelevant than the answer to a question that was never asked. Life is the answer to what question? Love is the answer to what question? Hashem is the answer to what question? But once somebody asks a question, then everything becomes relevant and answers begin to flow in our direction. Now every year I buy a Haggadah and I look for new questions and new angles. Last year, a few weeks before Pesach, I was giving my son a ride back to yeshiva and I was playing for him 
some music that I like. I was trying to educate him about my ancient genre. And he was patiently and respectfully listening. And then he asked me, Abba, can I play a song for you? I was not so excited. And then he said, my Rebbe has this song on his phone. His Rebbe happens to be an Odom Godel, a very great man. I don't know how he knows he has it on his phone. So I opened my ear and I said, okay. And then he played for me a song that knocked me off my feet. It's a song from Eighth Day. I'm not going to sing it for you, but the words, the refrain goes like this. Abraham, are we the children that you dreamed of? Are we those shining stars that you saw at night? And when I heard that question, I had to pull my car off to the side of the road and cry for the next few moments. It overtook me. I printed out the sheet of the words and we sang it at the Pesach Seder that year. What a gigantic question to reflect on and to see our reflection in. Is this what you had in mind, Abraham? If the answer is yes, then manish tana halayla hazem mikol halilos. Then what do we have to do to protect it in this exile? And if the answer is no, then manish tana halayla hazem mikol halilos. Then what do we need to do differently in order to get there? In any case, Avraham, are we the children that you dreamed of? Is this what you had in mind? Thank you, Rabbi Lamb. As we know, if you, if, 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 if you have a small, if you, if you, if you have a small inkling of, 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 of the videos that go around in the Jewish world of, of inspiring messages, you must have seen the videos of Mr. Srili Shane. Two minutes for Torah. If you if if you haven't seen one yet, you it's it's a it's it's a it's a must have. You must, you must see one. It's unbelievable. His energy, his wisdom is unbelievable, Mister Mister Srilly Shane. Rav Ozer Alper tells a story that happened in Yerushalayim many years ago. There was a drought, and they did not have rain for a very long period of time, and it was getting so terrible that the rabbi said, "Everybody get together at the kosel, and we're going to beg and pray for rain." So when everybody gathered, they prayed and they prayed all day until at one point suddenly dark clouds formed over the Kosel and sure enough it began pouring. Everybody was so exuberant and excited that they did not even mind that they were getting soaked by the rain. Well everybody got soaked aside for one man. There was one old man who was so confident that their prayer for rain is going to be answered that he brought along an umbrella. Rav Schwab says similarly that this is what happened when the Jewish people were leaving Mitzrayim. We're being chased by the Egyptians on their horses and chariots and we walk into the Yamsuf, the sea, and it splits and we're walking on dry land. At that point, we weren't sure exactly what's going to happen. It could be the Egyptians were coming right behind us into the dry land and going to attack us. But what did we do? Miriam and the Jewish women took out their drums that they brought from Egypt and they began singing and celebrating. They were so confident that we were going to be saved. The men, on the other hand, were more practical. We said, one second, let's get out. We'll make sure the Egyptians are dead out there on the beach. Then we'll say, az yashir. 
But it was the women who were on that higher level that believed wholeheartedly that Hashem would not let us down and began to celebrate even while they were walking through the water. And this is important for all of us to remember, that it's one thing to say that you believe, but it's another thing to show that you believe. Thank you, Mr. Shane. Our next speaker is Rabbi Elazar Meisels, who is who is who is a, a dean of 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 of, 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 a, of a tremendous school. He's a tremendous speaker, and you can check out his tremendous shir on Torah anytime. There's a great article upon Rabbi Meisels. Some 20 years ago, I was invited to spend a Shabbos as a scholar in residence at a very lively, active Kirov institution on the East Coast. Now, if you're in it for the money, being a scholar-in-residence is a really good gig. Get up, you make some jokes, you give a couple of speeches over Shabbos, you collect compliments, everybody claps for you, you go home feeling good with some extra cash, and you're good. I wasn't in for the money, they didn't offer me any. They just said, Rabbi Meisels, can you come for Shabbos? We have so many great students who want to hear you. So I went, and it was a hard Shabbos. A lot of speeches, a lot of private one-on-one conversations, small groups. I worked so hard that Shabbos. I was thinking like, you know, Shabbos, you don't work that hard. I worked hard that Shabbos because this, this was a tough crowd. They were skeptical. They were not just buying everything I'm telling them, and a lot of them needed individual attention. Nobody gave me a harder time than Mitchell. Mitchell challenged just about everything I said. And I knew why Mitchell challenged everything I said, because Mitchell was on the cusp of turning the corner. Mitchell was very close to the Emmis. He was starting to recognize the Emmis of Torah, the Emmis of a Torah lifestyle. And therefore, the Yetzirah was pushing Mitchell to fight back with everything he had. See, Mitchell, interestingly enough, as he told me, he said, I know I need to learn more. I know I need to observe more. But Rabbi, I can't. And I said, why not? He says, because I've got a great job. I have a dream job. I have a job on Wall Street. And if I stay the path, I'm going to make the kind of money that everybody only dreams of. I'm going to be powerful. I'm going to have it all, and I worked hard to get to this place. And I know that if I'm going to be more observant, I need to learn more. I need to go to Israel. I need to go to Yeshiva. And I have to give up my job. I don't want to give up my job. I work too hard to get to this place. My friends don't got jobs like this. I worked hard. I'm not ready to do this. And all Shabbos Mitchell hung around me. And we spoke, and I, I, I said to Mitchell, I get it. You see success, you're tasting success. You don't want to give it, you don't want to give it up. But what you have to understand is that Torah and mitzvahs and a life of Torah, now you're talking success. Now you're talking the future. You're thinking about your future. I want to talk to you about your future. I want to talk to you about your future on this world. I want to talk to you about your future in the next world. And we had some really deep, animated sincere, intense conversations. Shabbos was over, and I said my goodbyes, and Mitchell gave me a big hug, 
And I said, Rabbi, I don't know if I can act on everything we talked about, but I really, really appreciate. I appreciate the time. I appreciate the encouragement. I appreciate everything you gave me. I didn't stay in touch with Mitchell. He didn't stay in touch with me. But I did know a good friend of his. A few months later, I get a call from his friend. And he says, Rabbi Meisels, I have to tell you the end of the story of Mitchell. He said, Mitchell wrestled with that decision. Leave his job and go to yeshiva or stay the course and be what he had been born to be or what he thought he would be born to be. Incredibly successful. Wealthy beyond compare. And he couldn't make a decision. Couldn't make a decision. Didn't know, leave the job, go to yeshiva, keep the job. And then came Pesach. The first night of Pesach, Mitchell and I, he said, Mitchell and I, we were davening together. And after davening, Mitchell said, Peter, I told God, we're celebrating miracles. You made miracles and you freed the Jews. Well, God, I don't want to talk about miracles 2,000 years ago. I need a miracle now. If you think I belong in yeshiva, make a miracle for me. Free me. Free me from the shackles that are holding me back. You know what's holding me back. I can't say no. I can't give it up. Free me from those shackles. Unless you don't want me to go to yeshiva. Mitchell had a nice first days. Enjoyed the sudas. Everything was good. Chalamoyed. First day of Chalamoyed. He goes back to work like he had done every day for the last couple of years. And his boss greets him with a smile. Mitchell comes to his desk and he sees there's a note waiting for him on his desk. Please see HR, Human Resources. What does Human Resources want from me? What do they want from me? I haven't had anything to do with them in a long time. They are, when, since I got hired, they haven't been talking to me. No idea what this is about. He walks into the office and says, Hey guys, what's up? And one of the human resource directors looks at him and says, Mitchell, sit down, we've got to have a little conversation. Mitchell, it's not about you. You've been doing very nicely. But Mitchell, the company has decided we're going in a different direction. And that direction doesn't have Mitchell part of the plan. So Mitchell, I want to explain to you. And Mitchell says, there's no need to. Thank you. Have a great day. I appreciate the opportunity. Picks himself up and walks out. Goes to his desk, collects his things, goes home, picks up the phone, calls a travel agent and says, make me a ticket to go to Israel. I'm going to Yeshiva. Now that HR guy, I have no doubt, never in his wildest dreams did he ever get anybody to say thank you to him when he fired him. Mitchell was not thanking the HR guy. Mitchell got his miracle. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't only make Nisim, didn't only send us signs, didn't only redeem us 2,000 years ago. 
HaKadosh Baruch Hu redeemed us 2,000 years ago. And every Nisan and every Pesach, HaKadosh Baruch Hu continues to redeem us from the prisons that we imprison ourselves in. So this year, again, you have something that's holding you back. You want to finish Shas. You want to be a better person. You want to be a, 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 a better Jew. But there's something holding you back. Turn to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and say, Hashem, make me a miracle. You made one for Mitchell. Make one for me. Have a beautiful, wonderful, simchadik, kosher, and Pesach. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Rabbi Meisel. Our next speaker is Rabbi Daniel Travis, who's Rosh Hashiva in Yerushalayim. He's a tremendous speaker, and he's authored a, very, a lot of very popular svarim. So a great honor to go upon Rabbi Travis. I'd like to thank the wonderful organizations of Stories to Inspire, Chazak, and Tony Time. Each of them, in their own way, does tremendous work, and they're strengthening Klaus Rell in a, in, a, in a very great way. I was asked to say a story of Amuna. It's hard for me to pick exactly the right one, because I have quite a few stories of Amuna. I was privileged to be the Talmud for many years, the student of Rav Shlomo Brevda, who was the Isha Amuna. He was the man who lived Amuna. But I'll share with you one of the most powerful ones that happened to me. It was a early morning in Rio de Janeiro. You might be asking, Rabbi Travis, what were you doing in Rio de Janeiro, on the beaches of Rio de Janeiro? The reason I was in Rio de Janeiro is because I had just gotten married and my family of my wife did not attend because my father-in-law passed away four days before the wedding, right? And we got a psaac from Rosh Hashanah Orbach not to tell my wife. And therefore, uh, she did not know she was a, an Avel. She got married, and afterwards we sat Shiva. After sitting Shiva, we went to Brazil and to meet my mother-in-law in Rio de Janeiro. Now, in case you've never been to Rio de Janeiro before, right? Um, and I won't tell you should you or should not go. You might have a clarity after I finish the story. It's really just a beach. The whole city is just one big beach, more or less. With, uh, and therefore, there are many, many people who attend that beach. It's one of the seven most beautiful places in the world. I believe that there's such a category. And it's given that accolade of being one of the seven most beautiful places in the world. As the Briskorov said, if a person is in a place and he doesn't appreciate the beauty, there will be, at the time of judgment, a criticism against him. You were in that place. Why didn't you appreciate the beauty? Therefore, I decided, being in Rio de Janeiro that morning, I was going to go to the beaches, but you can't go um, in the late morning or the afternoon because people in Rio just cannot afford bathing suits. Yeah, they just can't afford it. So they go scantily, scantily clad. Therefore, the only time you could go was early in the morning. Now, before going, my wife warned me, um, you know, it's dangerous here in the beaches of Brazil. There's a lot of robberies. I said, listen, I grew up training for the Olympics in, in um, very dangerous neighborhoods. I'm going to go. I'm not worried about it. St- stupid number mistake, number one. Okay. So I walked to the beach, and I had my bathing suit on. I was, it was before sunrise. It was beautiful. I was admiring the beautiful beaches of Brazil and about to go into the water to be toivel, to feel as Ezra that um, LL morning. And suddenly I look around, and there are two huge gentlemen. I don't think we call them gentlemen because they did not treat me in a gentle way. There are two gentlemen here who are trying to separate me from my possessions. And I was thinking maybe I should try to run away. 
I once did that when I was attacked by two muggers in New York. I bent down to give them money and I just took off because I knew I was probably faster than them. In this case, I didn't think that, techni- that technique would work because it was sand, I didn't have shoes on. And they were very, very big guys. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to throw myself into Hashem's hands. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to throw myself into Hashem's hands. And that's what I did. So I wound up not just being in Hashem's hands, but also being in the hands of this one of these bandits. And I mean like this. He took his hand, and he choking me like this, and he stuck my face in the sand. I couldn't breathe, and also I couldn't move because my face was buried in the sand. Meanwhile, his friend was looking through my possessions and not finding too much Brazilian or American currency for that question and not even a credit card, nothing except you know a cheap digital watch and some um, sorted possessions that I had brought with me to the beach. And he kept saying, no money amigo, no money amigo, that means in Spanish, you don't have any money my friend? Yeah, it was nice that he called me his friend. With friends like that, you don't need enemies. I was thinking to myself, you know, if you would stop choking me, maybe I could tell you something. But I can't because you're choking me. Anyway, a minute passed, a minute and a half, two minutes, and it's really seemed like it was the end of my story. I was thinking about maybe saying Vito, but I couldn't talk, and Krishna, but I couldn't talk. And I'm wondering, like, how am I going to get out of this? It looks like death is on the threshold. And then suddenly, I remembered a sheer that I heard just three weeks ago from the Mashkiach of Taurus Moshe, Revel Hanan Fishman, about Eino Movado, that shear popped into my head. And as soon as that shear popped into my head, they let go and they ran away. And they said, Mafia of Brazil. I remember this story like yesterday. Yeah? And what did I do after I had my freedom? I went into the water and it was Tovel yeah? and came out. I went back to my um, mother-in-law and she said, did anything eventual happen? I said, not too much. I was just mugged on the beach and, and etc. She uh, said, did they take the keys? Yes, she changed the locks and that was the end of the story. Now, we're coming to the Yantav of Pesach. Pesach is the Yantav of freedom. That story that I experienced, that's what we went through in Mitzrayim. We were treated as slaves. We were abused. We were choked. We were tortured. Yeah? And we got out of Mitzrayim. If you want to get out of Mitzrayim properly, first thing you have to do is you have to feel the torture, the slavery. As the Chassam Sofer says, you have to feel like you were an idol worshiper. You have to get to that point. You feel the abuse and the torture of being Mitzrayim. If you feel that, if, you, if you've ever had your neck choked by bandits, you can know perhaps a little bit of what it is like in Mitzrayim. I don't wish this on anyone. I hope that everyone can attain this level by listening to the story. But what I do wish everyone is the Chag Kosh B'Sameach. And if you want to reach the proper level of Amuna, from the darkness comes the light. First thing you have to realize is what it means to be a slave. If you realize what it means to be a slave, to be tortured, and to go through physical, mental, and emotional torture, then you'll come out of Mitzrayim. Hashem should help all of us achieve this. Amen, Kedratzel. Thank you, Rabbi Travis. Our next speaker is Rabbi Mike Bengio, who is who is part of the NCSY in Chile. And it is a great honor to call upon the Rabbi. So first of all, I would like to thank Stories to Inspire for putting this amazing events together for us to inspire Jews around the world. It's amazing what you do, and thank you so much. And I'd like to thank everyone who's joining us here today. Chazak amazing that you're here, that you're looking for some inspiration before the Hagim. 
So we're going to start with a question before I share a beautiful story with you. I'd like to start with a question. We're just, we like to start with questions. In a few days from now, soon, we're going to be sitting down with our Haggadot, joining our beautiful Seder together with our families. And there's so many amazing songs there. And one of the favorite ones is Dayenu. We thank Hashem. He did so many miracles for us. And we say, you know, if you would have taken us out of Mitzrayim and you would have done, you know, punished the Mitzrayim or you wouldn't have opened the sea for us, it would have been enough. You know, every single one of those miracles by themselves would have been enough. And still you did so much for us. But in one of those sentences, we're going to be saying a sentence that it's very strange. We're going to say, Hashem, if you would have brought us in front of the Arsinai, you wouldn't have given us the Torah there. Only we would have gone in front of our Sinai. And, you know, you wouldn't have given us the Torah. We would have continued being on Israel just without the Torah. It's hard to imagine something like that. Dayenu. That would have been enough. And the question should be obvious. What's the point of going to the Har Sinai if we're not going to get the Torah? I understand all the other miracles. If, we, if Hashem, you, wouldn't, you would have opened the sea for us, but you wouldn't have drowned in there our enemies who have been chasing us for such a long time. I understand, that would have been enough. That would have been an amazing miracle by itself. You know, we had Nebuah in that moment. We had prophecy. We got to, to such a high level. So I understand, if you open the sea and didn't drown the Mitzrim, I get it. But going to the Har Sinai, the whole idea, the whole point was for us to get the Torah. What's the point of going to Har Sinai? You know, it's like, if I would have gone to school and I wouldn't have learned anything, you know, that would have been enough. What's the point of going to school? You go to school to learn something. What's the point of going to Har Sinai? without getting the Torah? What would, it, what would have we gained? Why would that be enough? So I want to share with you, with that said, I want to share this beautiful story. This happened just now, this month. It's a fresh story. I got a call from a rabbi from Argentina, Rabbi Hachez, a very close friend of mine. And he told me I have a beautiful story I want to share with you. Emet, you know, I lived it just now. In this shul, in Cordoba, Argentina, they auctioned, like in many other communities, they auctioned different mitzvot, Different mitzvot for se different segulot. You know, so they have a segula, somebody who opens peticha. It's a, somebody who opens the echal on the different hagim, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, uh, Simchat Torah. So it's a, it's a segula. It's a good sign for Parnassah to, to make an extra, you know, uh, extra good living on that year. So they have a specific segula, a specific mitzvah that you get during Simchat Torah for Shiduchim. Whoever gets that mitzvah is a very good sign to find a shiduch, to, to find your match during that year. And the person of this community said, you know what, there's a few bachurim. It's a, it's a group of three friends. One of them is away, away in Israel. He's learning. So two of the friends are remaining here. And I think it would be beautiful if these two bachurim, they do so much for the community. They're volunteers. They help us so much. Hashem should help us find a shiduch this year. I want to buy them this. I'm going to donate and buy for them this mitzvah, I want to see them getting engaged and getting married this year. I want to see that happening. So he donated a very big amount for these two people to find the shiduch on that year. One of them went up to one of the mitzvot, the other one went up for the other mitzvah, and they gave them a very special beracha that they should be able to find their shiduch on that year. Okay? So that was Simchat Torah, beautiful Simchat Torah. Many people got, a, got a different, very different mitzvot. But the president was very focused, you know, is this going to work? I mean, uh, of course, some impact is going to do so, but I really hope that they find the Shiduch this year. Now, he bought the mitzvah, he wasn't even considering how powerful something like this could be. 
So what happened? Just a few months later, one of them gets engaged. Meets this very good girl. They do the shiduch. They get engaged. This happened just uh, you know a few weeks from now. This person got engaged. Everybody's so happy. Everybody's you know amazed. By the way, they, they didn't even have a, a, a an opportunity. They didn't they didn't even know each other by then. Now they got engaged. But just a few days from now, the second bachur also got engaged. Everybody was so happy, and everybody was so shocked about the power of you know buying a mitzvah. Of you know, sometimes we don't even appreciate what a mitzvah is. You do a mitzvah and the impact that it has. But that's not all. You know, if that was all, if, if that was a whole story, that would be amazing. But I want to tell you something else. When he bought the mitzvah for this two bachurim, the president of the community, he wasn't even considering what an impact this could be making on himself. Rachamim teaches that whenever you do something good for someone else, always. Every time you will also get a benefit. The person who gives is the person who gets the most out of the deal. That's for sure. So the president of this community wasn't even thinking. Then when he was buying the aliot for these two people, his daughter, who was also looking for a shidduch and having a difficult time finding a shidduch, was also going to find someone else. Was also going to be getting engaged, getting married to someone. On that same year, the son of this president was going to be finding a shidduch for his daughter. And the most amazing part is who was going to be that shidduch. Because the shidduch, the person who got married to the, son of this, to the daughter of this president, was the third friend. The one who was learning in Israel. The one who couldn't get a mitzvah, but he got a special mishaberach in the Torah. When they went up to the Torah, they mentioned their friend. He's also here, so he can't get the mitzvah, but we're also asking for him. That third friend got engaged to the daughter of the president who bought the aliyah for these two friends, for these three friends, is that one of them technically wasn't there. He was giving to someone else, but he got the best deal. He got the most out of it. He got to see all of them getting engaged, getting married, and one of them getting married to his daughter on that same year. I'm going to tell you why. Because when I'm Israel together, when we're looking after each other, when I'm worried about this other, you, you know, young people, when I'm looking after this other bachurim, I think that I'm also, I, what I think is, I'm, I'm also, I'm, I'm just worried about them. But we get the most out of it. When Amisrael is together, when we're united, we see amazing miracles. We see amazing things happening towards each other. And that's a message. That's a dayenu. Something amazing happened to Amisrael when we were all together in Arsinai. And that is that all Amisrael were keish echad belev echad. Like one person with one heart. We were all united. We were all worried about each other. We were looking after each other. We were one person, one heart, all united. And that's why we say, Hashem, you would have only brought us in front of our Sinai. And that's all that would have happened. We wouldn't even got in the Torah, which was the reason why we were there. But just for the fact that you gave us this chance to be one nation. And we all had refuah shlema. Everybody was cured of whatever they had at the moment. Everybody was cured. Only miracles happened at that time because we were only one nation. Only for that. It would have been worth it to travel all the way from Mitzrayim to Sinai just so we can be one nation. My friends, there are so many things we're going to be asking on our seder this year. But to be together, to be one nation, that's up to us. And we can have that right now, today, this year. Let's be one nation. Because all the salvations we're looking for, they all come 
when we're one nation, when we are we should be zoche, to be one person, with one heart, all looking after each other. And this Chag, on this Pesach, Hashem, we should only see miracles, we should only see Yeshua, only salvations for all of our brothers around the world from Klal Israel. Chag Sameach, thank you so much. Stories to inspire and everybody who joined us here today. Chag Kasher Sameach to all of you. Thank you, Rabbi Ben-Gio. Our next speaker is Rabbi Yoshua Sova, who is who is who is involved and he's the rabbi of the Jewish Institute uh, in Denver, Colorado. Is our grandfather called upon the rabbi? This story literally blew my socks off. I, I couldn't believe it when I saw, I saw this. We know in the in in the Haggadah it says, "Kol amarvel saper biyitziat mitzrayim harezim mishubach." Whoever adds to the sipor yitziat mitzrayim harezim mishubach. So my Rebbe, Ramat Yisrael Salman, brought from his Rebbe, Rebbe Yolapian, he said, Kol HaMavel Lisaper, Meloshen Samperin, Meloshon of Sapphire. Whoever makes the, the Haggadah, or the Yitzhiyat Mitzrayim, the whole Sipur Yitzhiyat Mitzrayim, makes it Saper, he makes it beautiful, they become better. If you're living Yitzhiyat Mitzrayim, you become a better person. Beautiful idea. So I heard, what does that mean? Why le saper? Because a diamond, what's a diamond? Diamond is that when you look at it at all different angles, the, the glass, the, the, excuse me, the prisms that you see give over such a beautiful, every little movement gives over something more beautiful than you saw from the next. And when you're able to examine that like that, that's Sipo Yitzhak Mitzrayim. HaKadosh Baruch took us out and you gave us the Torah, you gave us the man, you gave us the slav, you gave us Ananiya uh, Kavod, you gave us just your love and just being there for us. And da, 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 da. He's just, just moving the diamond. You're seeing all the prisms and all the different light is refracting different ways. You see all these wonderful things. You become a better, stronger person. In other words, when you're holding the diamond of life and you're holding something like that, you're able to reflect the light and reflect on your life you'll see how beautiful your life is. So I have a story to tell you. This is an unbelievable story that shows you that when you reflect on unbelievable things, even if it's not a diamond, it's a diamond of a story. And this is the story. Ramesha Reichman and his wife, Leah Reichman, were known to be magnanimous with their heart and happened to be with their money too. But Rosh Varishon, the first thing always was, they thought about others. Listen to this story. Mrs. Leah Reichman had a diamond ring that her husband, Moshe Reichman, got, got for her. I don't know what, why he got for her. It seems like it was a very significant diamond ring. And they went on vacation, wherever the Tukufa was, I'm not sure what. They went on a vacation. And while they went away, unfortunately someone broke into their house. And the diamond was not in a safe deposit box. When they came home, they saw the diamond was taken with, amongst other jewelry. So they had to file a police report. The police come, Canadian uh, Mountie Police, they come, filing a report. Okay, Ms. Rachman, tell us, how much is your diamond worth? She says, $25. So her husband looks and goes, no, 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 the diamond ring, what are you talking about? The diamond, I bought it for a hundred something thousand dollars. This is a significant diamond, what are you talking about? She says, no, I have to tell you a story. She says, a few years ago, I heard that there was somebody in our family that desperately needed funds and was too embarrassed to ask you, Moshe. He did not want to ask you because if he asked you, he would feel embarrassed. He wouldn't look at you in the face and it would really affect and strain his relationship with you. So I did not want that to happen. And I knew they were suffering. So on my own, without telling you, I went to the jeweler and I said, 
How much is this diamond worth? He said, it's $100,000, this diamond. Mrs. Rockman, are you sure you want to do this? Yes. Please detach the diamond from the setting. I would like to pawn that, and I want you to put in its place a regular piece of glass that looks just like that diamond. Can you do that? Yeah, a piece of glass, sure, of course. We could implement it. Fine, that's all I want. How much will it be? $25. That's why I said $25. And for years she wore this diamond ring. She never told anyone. The only reason why this story came to light is because she had to file a police report. And she told the Canadian Mountie Police, she says to the Mountie, by the way, if you want to catch the Ganav, just wait for some guy to walk into a jewelry store or to a pawn shop. And if the guy wants to sell a big diamond ring that happens to be glass, it's very easy to tell. You take out the loop and you see, then you know he's the Ganav. And that's the story. Two weeks later, somebody came in exchanging a diamond ring, a very nice, significant diamond ring because it was time for the person to move on and the person had a glass diamond and uh, they arrested the person and the person confessed and they got the rest of their stuff. Whoever makes saper makes a beautiful, reflective diamond. What a beautiful person that is that they think of other people. Mishubach. Yain Mishubach. It's like praised wine. Beautiful. Ah, A person like that who thinks of other people, they could reflect not just from the rays of the diamond, but reflect on how they cared about another Jew. And that's what every one of us should do when it comes to the laws of Pesach. When it comes to the law of getting together, Lel Seder, Korban Pesach, everything that we have represents this idea of getting together, being as one, the Achtut. That's the idea. Thank you, Rabbi Sova. Our next speaker is Rabbi Nachum Shiner, who is the Rosh Kolel of Base Medjish Orchaim in Muncie, New York, at Shiner Shul. Is our grand to go upon Rabbi Shiner. A little over 200 years ago, in the town of Nikolsburg, known for the place where Rabbi Schmelke in Nikolsburg was Rav, here, the Rav before Rabbi Schmelke, Rabbi Sochem in Nikolsburg, was the Rav, was before Pesach, and like every Rav before Pesach, is extremely busy, Mechiris Chometz, answering questions, kashering, and all the Hilchas Pesach Shilas. We have a whole Chela Kei Mishnah Brura on Hilchas Pesach, preparing a Shabbos Agadol Drasha. Moving along with the preparations came Leil Badikas Chometz. Like in the olden days, it wasn't weeks of cleaning. Leil Badikas Chometz, the small house that a person had, you cleaned the house, you went through the rooms, and they put all the Chometz together the next morning, Sreifus chametz, the little chametz that they had, they burnt. Now that they got rid of all the chametz, the house is empty, and we gotta go shopping to the market to get food for Pesach. What do they do? They had little kids, so they needed a babysitter. Find a babysitter, heir of Pesach, a Yiddish babysitter. So they found a non-Jew, a babysitter, to watch the younger children. And they went out to go shopping. And for like every babysitter's biggest nightmare, just about 30 minutes after the parents left, the baby got up and started screaming, starving for food. So as a good babysitter, what does she do? She looks around in the kitchen, in the pantry, in the cabinets, and of course it's empty. 
The chametz was burnt. There's no food around. That's where the parents went to go shopping. She looked high and low. Nothing in the kitchen. She went to a different room to look. And from one room to another room. Ending up in the master bedroom searching around for food. She goes to one closet. And lo and behold, deep down in the back of the closet, there's a box. And in that box are large, big, round crackers. Exactly what she needed to feed the starving children. And that's what she did. She gave them the crackers to eat. Kvaldik, they ate it, calmed down, and the day moved on. Later on, the parents came back. They were preparing for Yomtev, cooking, setting the table for Yomtev, for the Seder. And all of a sudden, a shriek comes from the master bedroom. Everybody starts running to see what's going on. And everybody started shrieking. And this babysitter never heard such a thing, such screaming, such a commotion. It didn't take her too long till she realized what was going on and what her mistake was. She gathered all her courage and she went over to the Rav, Rabbi Yisachar, and explained to him and told him what the story was. They went out shopping, the baby woke up soon after, starving. I didn't know what to do. I searched the house for some food, and the only thing I found were those large, big, brown crackers. There was a long pause. And after a couple of moments, the Rav, Rabbi Yisachar of Nikosburg, turns to the babysitter and says, Thank you very much for taking such good care of my children. We all have these scenarios in life. Throughout the year, and in particular in the days leading up to Pesach. Events of stress and things that don't go exactly the way we want it. We can either choose to get annoyed, to get frustrated, to get mad, to get sad. Or we could do like we saw from Rabbi Yisachar of Nikolsburg that decided, even though we put in so much koiches in the matzah, from going to the field, to picking the wheat, to cutting the wheat, to grinding the mat, to grinding the flour, making the flour by hand, rolling the matzah, putting so much effort, so much money. But once it was lost, not only did he not get annoyed and upset, but, at, but actually took from the moment the positive and how to appreciate and thank the babysitter for taking such good care of her kids. Let us try to do the same. It may be very hard when it comes to matzahs, when it's such a special 
put in so much effort. But different things that come up, let's try to put in an effort, not only not to get annoyed, but let's try to find the positive. And with that, we'll all be zoicher for a chag, kosher, v'sameach, v'dyantif. Thank you, Rabbi Shiner. The final speaker tonight is Rabbi Shlomo Landau, who is the director of Torah Links. He's a tremendous... Um, he's a tremendous, tremendous rabbi, and is a great article upon Rabbi Landau. Before I share an amazing story, I just want to take a moment to express my deepest and most profound Hakarasatayf to stories to inspire for being an amazing platform for my stories and for the stories of so many people. These stories uplift, they inspire, they connect, and the Rabban Shalom should give the entire staff at Stories to Inspire so much Hatzlacha and Siyata the Shemaya to continue with their holy work and to really take things to the next level. You know, the word blood libel, or Alilas Dam, is a word that sent shivers down the spines of Jews for thousands of years. We all know blood libels were when the Christian communities would make up a libel, a fake story, that some Christian child was killed, slaughtered, so that its blood could be used to produce matzah for the Yontif of Pesach. Thousands, perhaps tens of thousands of Jews, lost their life, were tortured, and were exiled because of these crazy, preposterous stories. One such story took place a few hundred years ago, not far from the town of the Abderav, Zechrein Levracha. There was a very wealthy nobleman in that community who was what we call a Meshubit, somebody who had left the Jewish way of life and embraced the Christian way of life to further his agenda, to increase his wealth and his power. This fellow was a thorn in the side of the Jewish community, and his anti-Semitic sentiments and feelings were well known amongst the nobility all the way up until the king. Not long before Pesach, there was a cabinet meeting in the king's throne room, and many barons and different political figures attended. One of the well-known politicians asked for an audience, and the king gave him permission to speak, and he shared that a young girl in his own district was missing, and that they were pretty sure that it was the Jewish community that had kidnapped this little girl for blood for their matzahs. The surrounding cabinet nodded in agreement. They all knew that this was a Jewish thing. He suggested that all the Jews in the community be banished and exiled, and if, and if anyone stayed behind, they would be automatically killed. They needed to atone for this terrible sin, and they couldn't have them in his district anymore. And around the room, everyone nodded in unison, and the king himself was taken aback and shocked. But the law was that before a law like this had to be passed, every single one of the cabinet members had to sign on it. And one by one, they all signed with glee and with happiness. They'd finally be rid of the Jews, at least in part of their kingdom. But remarkably, when it came to this Mishumud, this apostate, the fellow that had turned his back on everything holy, it came for his turn to sign the edict and the document. He wouldn't do it. And he stood up and he said, Listen, you all know that I'm anti-Semitic and I'm anti-Jewish, but I'm also honest and truthful. The Jews salt their blood, salt their meat so there should be no blood in the meat. The Jews, if a drop of blood comes on a sandwich that somebody's eating, they won't eat that sandwich. They're so careful and meticulous with blood, they would never put blood in their matzah. And as it is, matzah is just flour and water. I cannot sign off on this. It's just not true. It's disingenuous. Everyone was taken aback. 
Everyone thought he'd be the first person to sign it. But when the king said, listen, I appreciate your honesty and your integrity, and he annulled the decree, and it was business as usual in his cabinet. Later that evening, I guess when you do something for Klal Yisrael, when you do something to save Yiddish people, it has an impact and an effect on his neshama. And this nobleman, this Meshuma, this apostate, who had turned his back on everything holy, who had been such an anti-Semite, had so small hirhure tshuva, small thoughts of repentance and return. He realized what he'd done. He'd saved countless Jewish people. And for some, something inside of his heart, there was a hisiris, an arousal for tshuva. And he looked at his life in the rearview mirror, and he realized how far he had strayed. He realized how far he had gone. But what does one do? He was married to a non-Jewish woman. He had non-Jewish children. He had a position of power. He couldn't just walk away from everything. And over the next few days, this feeling of return of tshuva festered, and it grew, and it intensified. And one night he couldn't sleep, and he harnessed his horse, and he rode into the town of Apt. And he went to the Apterav, and he knocked on the Apterav's door late at night. And when the Apterav saw that it was this Mishumid, this horrible person, he was seized with fear and terror. Now what? And he begged and he said, I don't have time, I can't talk to you now. The fellow insisted, and he came into the Rebbe, and he sat down in front of the Rebbe, and he began to cry, shalish, tears. His body was racked by sobs. And he shared with the Rebbe how he had saved the Jewish community, and for some reason he realized the terrible, terrible mistake that he had made. Rebbe, he begged and pleaded, what could I do? The Rebbe said, you have to do tshuva. He says, I can't. I can't leave my wife. I can't leave my children. And the Rebbe was mechazikim, and the Rebbe encouraged him. And the fellow found the inner strength to somehow make his way back to Klal Yisrael. He left suddenly his wife and his children, and almost miraculously, just a week later, there was a fire that destroyed his entire estate. He lost his wife and his children in the fire. But with that loss, he found himself and he came back to Klal Yisrael as a Balchuva, Bichuva Shalema, as someone who comes back to Tyre and Mitzvahs. And for the rest of his life, he tried to make amends for his terrible sins. And he died a Kadosh Vitahar, a pure and holy person, somebody who was counted amongst Sadiqa Yisrael, the righteous of Klal Yisrael. When a person does something for Klal Yisrael, even if they've strayed so far, Somehow, that lights a little spark, and that spark turns into a flame, and that flame casts light, and it warms the Jewish person to come back to the Rabbi Nishalelem. As we come into the Yontif of Pesach, where it all started, we became an Am. It behooves each and every one of us to make sure that all of our Jewish brothers and sisters are taken care of. There's a concept of Kimcha de Pischa, of ensuring that every Jewish home has adequate, need, adequate um, items and supplies that they need for Pesach. And when we do that, when we take a little bit of ourselves and we light the candle of another person, that lights a spark inside of us. And if we embrace that spark, it can roar into a large fire, a large flame, and it can bring us to levels of Avodah Hashem that maybe we never imagined. Wishing each and every one of you the opportunity to help out our brothers and sisters, and in the process be enlightened and enriched. And a beautiful yantif. Enjoyed this story? Come again. Bring a friend. Stories to inspire.org.